0: Welcome everyone to Damo's Fingers episode 71, Hands of Stone, Hands of Fire. I'm scatting with me as always is my buddy Matt. Hey everybody, glad to have you for this episode. We are continuing
1: to cover A Feast for Crows and A Dance with Dragons. More A Dance with Dragons this time though. No A Feast for Crows, we gotta catch up with these dance tra- uh, chapters. There's quite a few of them. So but we do continue to read in our special reading order Developed by Game of Owns, called A Feast with Dragons. You can find that reading order on our website, DavosFingers.com, or at A Feast with uh, So, this episode from A Dance with Dragons, we are covering the Griffin Reborn chapter, the Queen's Guard, new POV, mm. the Iron Suitor, Tyrion 11, and Jon Snow chapter 12. So we got some good ones tonight. Uh, few announcements that we have. First of all, there was this movie that came out. Uh, if, let's see, at the time of this recording, would have been one week ago today, right? Last Friday or Thursday? Oh uh, yeah, they last released Thursday. Movies now? Yeah. yeah, Thursday. Wednesday night at Wednesday midnight? night at yeah. ten o'clock, <laughs> pretty <or> much <laughs>
0: something. It's midnight somewhere. Uh-huh. Uh,
1: Avengers what was it called infinity war i almost said age of ultron um i saw it scad has been a little busy (laughs) uh, traveling the world for his a song of ice and fire uh, adventures so i've seen the movie saw it opening night with the family my five-year-old fell asleep for about half an hour of it um spoilers don't, don't let that tell you anything yeah <laughs> and but we are Scad is going to get to see it and we are going to do a yeah. special episode of films get fingered talking about this epic movie um uh, so look for that on patreon coming up i'm not <laughs> going to give you a date sometime
0: uh, <laughs> sometime i'm so excited to Spish. talk to you about it and i'm so sad that that you're having to like hold yourself down and not talk to me about it uh <laughs> It's been hard this week. It's after I got back from the con late on Sunday night. Uh, every night I've been like, ah, I probably don't need to prep for the cast for recording tonight. I could probably, I could probably go see the movie instead. <laughs> like, I keep trying to make excuses. I'm like, no, no, I'm already behind. I'm still behind every night this week. I've said the same thing, and uh, yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping I'll be able to sneak away like Sunday night and see it. We'll see. Okay. No. Yeah. I'll do one of my uh, one of my solo adventures in the cinema. Should Those I do are, one are my favorite kind. Oh, it's great! I love going to see movies by myself. It's like mm-hmm. it's awesome. Uh, we're not losers. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, th- anything else on this? No. Move on. No. Yeah, move on. All right. So, just a quick Ice and Fire con update. Uh, it was amazing. Um, Sounds like it. Look, I, I'm just—I'll put this like as simply as I can. I recommended this thing before this year, as does pretty much everyone I know that goes. They recommend it. Uh, there are some people that came this year that I'd like to think maybe they came, you know, partially because because we recommended it along with others. Um, maybe not. That's the world I live in—denial. Um, but the handful that I talked to that admitted knowing anything about our podcast at all. They either lied directly to my face or had a great time and promised to come back next year. Mm-hmm. So like these are people that was their first con and they're, they had a blast and they're coming back. There was one person that I got to talk to on Saturday. I didn't get to talk long enough. So I'm not, i not sure whether she's coming back or not, but like basically everyone that I met that listens to our podcast, I, I tried to ask them all, like, are you coming back? Are you coming back? Every single one of them like is bought in. So on that note, specifically, thanks to Julian Fern with a Ph, Karen and Anthony, uh, who I got to uh, got to see and uh, talk about, talk with, and have meals with and stuff. Uh, Mac, who brought her <laughs> her uh, paddleboard all the way from California and didn't use it on the lake once. Like um, Chase and Becca, uh, Ghost Chase Killa and his oh, wife nice. Becca uh Rita who I didn't get to talk to nearly enough um professed fans of the cast I got to hang out with most of them a lot um I also got to talk with you know other content creators I talked I talked to Aziz about baseball for like 20 or 30 minutes like what a waste no no it was awesome like he's just got the that that amazing brilliant mind that we all know he has like Mm -hmm. apply it to statistics in baseball. And it's like even more amazing if if that's possible. Um, got to go to a panel. Baseball. With... Yeah, I, I know. I'm not even a huge baseball. I mean, I used to be a baseball, big baseball fan. I kind of, when one of the strikes happened, I went away anyway. That's a whole other story. But um, I've always kind of liked baseball. But uh, but talking to him about it, was, it's amazing. Hmm. But uh, Lady Gwyn got to have breakfast with her. Um, mostly, mostly only got to view PQ from afar. Uh, I didn't need to talk to him, I don't think, hardly at all beyond, you know, hellos and stuff Was uh, there
1: just a, a throng around him at all times?
0: <laughs> yeah, like a glowing halo uh, No, yeah. we were just kind of, we seemed to be traveling somehow in mostly different circles A lot of the panels he was doing I was already engaged doing other stuff um, I mean, I, I talked to him said hi and stuff, but we just didn't we didn't get to engage much um, Anne and Eliana It was great to see them again um, mm-hmm. Spent a good amount of time with Eliana um I got to I got to talk about you mentioned uh the the reading order I got to talk with uh Zach from from game of owns oh nice about the reading order and he's like mm-hmm. it's so great you guys are using that like we he, I mean oh, good we were both I think a little hammered sorry Zach if I'm outing you about being hammered but <laughs> around the fire we just talked for a long time just about our podcast he's like we should record an episode tomorrow Hannah's coming in we'll just set up and record i'm like all right i'm okay <laughs> it was pretty How awesome did that he's, a, go? he's a great guy uh love to meet him um, well that's good because
1: you know we've always tried to give like a ton of credit to game of own so they don't feel like we're stealing their reading order or somehow pirating it but i still think there's always that part of me that worries like are they okay with us doing this because we didn't check with them or anything yeah and so to uh, to hear that they're cool with it and everything is uh makes me feel good
0: it, it may be there was like some I have no idea really we didn't we didn't actually I didn't ask directly but maybe there was like a little bit of tension about that but like he was like no it's great you're using it I'm so glad I'd love to get your feedback like anything you notice that's weird or odd write it down I'm like well we, t- we bring it up on the cast all the time you know like when we think something's fits or doesn't fit and stuff he's like well you should write those down and, and send them to me we can talk about it and all this stuff that's when he was going on about, we should do an episode right now and talk about it. And I was like, <laughs> it's two in the morning. <laughs> We're drunk and there's fire. Let's not. Uh, but a great dude. I liked him a lot. Uh, I got to run a D&D session with other fans from Song of Ice and Fire. It was mm-hmm. awesome. Uh, made some some new friends there. Uh, I got to talk with a guy named Chris, uh, who was at the con last year, but I don't think I met him. Or if I did, I forgot. Sorry, Chris. Um he studied acting and now he runs his family business, which is like a cement foundation type business, big company, Hmm. uh, like successful company. It's like, I think it's a a fifth generation family business. And he's just, he's just all in. I'm like, do you miss acting? Like, don't you want to be out there doing that? He's like, no, man, I love this. I love what I'm doing. And just talked about his family. I mean, just like, I guess this is long and and whining on, but like the point is it's just a con of amazing people where you make these connections that frequently have nothing to do with the song of ice and fire they're just cool people and you just end mm-hmm. up having these conversations about amazing things and it's i don't i don't know how to say it other than somehow the culture that's been bred by the people organizing it have made it such that everyone is just open to talking about whatever and want to it's really weird man i've almost i don't think like i've ever seen anything like it it's all I got. I, like, if you're on the fence, think about coming next year, uh, everybody out there in the Calisar, I'd love to see more people from the Calisar mm-hmm. there. And, uh, yeah, just I had a great time, and it's awesome. It's all I it's got. It's
1: kind of cool. You know, the the common phrase is, is what? That the whole is greater than the sum of the parts?
0: Yeah, the gestalt effect. I, yeah.
1: I kind of I kind of feel like what you're saying is that the individual parts, the individual people in the fandom or who attend this con are almost greater than dare i say the con itself, right? They're uh, the con is what brings you together. Yeah, uh, it sounds like even a song of ice and fire well you still it's still devoted to that and and revolves around that. It, it's more about the connections you're able to make with individuals that is the stuff you took home with you. So, for me it is. I mean, cuz you just spent you just spent quite a few minutes and it's fine. I loved it. Uh, and you said very little about specific con activities. Did you notice that you spent yeah. the whole time talking
0: about people? That, that, to me, I think, I think I said it's tweet think, out about that. Like to me, that con, the con is all about people. And, and the, I think that's awesome. I think the, it's awesome that you did that. The organizers do a great job of of getting content together that's that's you know related to the books and the show. They do a great mm-hmm. job, and there's there was some amazing content. But to me. It's all just a function of the people, and yeah. I hope they're not insulted by me saying it that way. Yeah, yeah, not to belittle.
1: All no, their the efforts, efforts are that the organizers put right. into
0: it. Absolutely not. The content is amazing. They had a Hamilton mashup that was so so good. <laughs> so it was so good. Like I wasn't expecting it, and I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> it was amazing. Uh, you know, there's just karaoke where you've been to karaoke, right, Matt? Like, oh, where boy. where like people are kind of timid about like maybe they're not the best or whatever. Like there were some not good performances, Matt. Some really not good ones. It's generally a big part of karaoke. Right. But there was... But but also sometimes you get like those sideways glances. I saw none of that. Mm -hmm. And I was boozed up a little bit, you know, maybe. But I didn't see any like judgment. You know, like there's no like... I feel bad for judging as much as I just did about calling them not good performances. Like, it, just the feeling is, is such that everyone everyone's out there having fun. There's no judgment in it. It was Well, it's not it about great. the performance. No, no. It's about the people just showing who they are, mm-hmm. right? Being like, real. Being yeah. real, yeah. So, it was great. I had a great time. I'm, I'll, I'll book the day tickets go on sale next year, and uh, yeah, I loved it. Super exciting. Yeah. Also, the uh, breakfast was really good. They had this buffet that, like, I ate the same breakfast three days in a row, and it was amazing. Yeah.
1: Well, that's what buffets are for.
0: Yeah. Yep. (laughs) All right, I'm done gushing about uh, Ice and Firecon. We can move on.
1: Well, if you're not going to mention it, I'm going to. For those that haven't seen Scad's stirring performance of the Broken Man speech, look for that on... Oh, where is it now? Well, it's on the, it's on the YouTube, but uh, you can find it on... I posted about it on Facebook. We posted about it on Twitter. It's on the Ice and Fire Con Twitter handle. Um, but, but SCAD did a dramatic reading. Not even a reading. You had it all memorized and stuff. A dramatic performance monologue of uh, the Broken Man speech. And it was quite stirring. It Thank left you. me inspired and, and uh, impressed. Uh, beyond impressed. And and a little emotional, and I know I wasn't the only one. So excellent work, and it was, is a testament to your talent and passion.
0: And a, and I a testament to George's words. Uh, and you know, I, it was one of yeah. I, I I did leave it out. I mean, maybe disingenuous for me to leave it out of, of the summary. I mean, it was. I'm not exaggerating. One of the greatest moments of my life. It, it was. Because by your outfit,
1: outfit, I don't blame
0: you. (laughs) Because, (laughs) because, and I've said this I think to a few people, so it might not be super original for some of you. But, um, it, I I looked around sometime in the middle of the performance. I looked around and like I could see how invested people were, Mm
2: -hmm. and
0: and I don't really get nervous anymore, Matt. Like I don't. I've performed enough. I don't... It doesn't really happen. Unless I'm unprepared, which... I don't ever go on stage unprepared. So I'm... Like, I'm never nervous. Um, And I was super nervous. And I realized in the middle why. It's because most of the time, at least, you know, for the level of theater I'm doing, which is, guys, it's not high. For the level of theater that I'm doing, people are there, and they're there to have a good time, but they're not that invested in the material. And the people here are so invested in the material... I screwed mm-hmm. up probably five times, and I bet almost everyone in the room knew it, that I said the wrong word. I mean, like, they're just that invested in the material. They they sure. care that much. And so it's sad that it took me that long to realize why I was nervous, but, like, mm-hmm. they cared a lot. And so it was amazing to be able to do it. Um, you know, I have a few regrets about, you know, some things, the, the way they went, but overall, it was great, and I loved it, and I had a great time, and I was just so happy that... That i got through it without having any major screw-ups Ah, uh, so you're, you're your own
1: worst critic it was fantastic oh, no a lot of fun it was it was a it was fun. a
0: lot of fun yeah. it was a lot of fun yeah so
1: yeah you're getting some uh requests for encores on twitter and stuff so
0: start <laughs> i saw a manderley
1: thing or something yeah they want north remembers uh i think um Virginia wanted uh willa's little outburst oh yeah in the White Harbor throne room thing. Right, yeah. that's the
0: same chapter, isn't it? Um, or or no, it's the know, preceding one.
1: I think it's the one it's, right before. Yeah, it's
0: the preceding one in the throne room, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I th- This was very spur of the moment, to be honest. I didn't start memorizing it until I was on the plane. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, I had three days or something. Um. So, and spent a reasonable amount of time in my hotel room practicing and stuff. And uh, if I do it, if I do something again, I'll definitely prepare more. Cause, it, yeah. Well then. I could talk. I through. could talk about my my process for this for like all night. So we should move on.
2: <laughs>
0: I hear you. I'm the same way
1: with my music. Yeah. So. Yeah. You get me going. It's hard to stop. But uh, yeah, I think the passion that the fandom exhibits in response to a great performance like yours is i know for me and i'm sure for you as well it makes us want to keep doing a good job in whatever it is we're doing right yeah. yep I, I don't want to throw the towel in or half-ass it on any Davos fingers episode that might have been the first time i've uttered a curse word on this podcast um
0: <laughs> that's like a half a curse word Half acid is just like a phrase. I'm not sure it counts as a phrase. We'll let let it slide, Matt. I'm cool with it. I won't tell the bishop.
1: I'm okay with it. (laughs) Uh, But that's what keeps me from like, it keeps me up for that extra hour to study, you know, when you're behind. Yeah. And you need to get it done is knowing how much people care. And part of it, admittedly, is not wanting to look like an idiot in front mm-hmm. of those people that care. But also a part of it is, you know, they're investing their time and some are investing a few bucks in, in our podcast and got to get it right. So speaking thank of you which, guys, for caring, it helps us want to care.
0: Speaking of which, uh, I listened to the first Girls, uh, Girls Gone Canon today.
1: Yes. Congratulations
0: uh, to Chloe and Eliana. Liana. For a fine job, fantastic, very entertaining, fantastic. Yeah. excited to excited to get the next uh, the next fix of that whenever it comes. Kind of uh, like so, check yeah, it out, guys. Kind of, Girls Gone yeah. Canon.
1: Girls Gone Canon. Kind of like Jeff and poor Quentin on um, uh, not a podcast, and maybe dare I say, with us too. You get two people with such dramatically different yet complementary personalities. You put them together. You know in one virtual space and it it can either be a complete train wreck or it can be complete gold (laughs) and uh with eliana and chloe we got the gold we got the gold so
0: and the lives ladies keep it up
1: and the arbor yeah Yeah.
0: yeah sorry didn't mean to interrupt you uh, nope. so, all right let's we move on Should We podcast let's all move right the crap we... on these people that don't care about a song of ice and, or, or song of
1: ice and fire con are just like oh
0: my please God. move on <laughs> maybe we cut like half of that and put it at the end or something I'll let you worried about that master editor uh, we'll see
2: <laughs> I liked right. it also
0: yeah yeah it wasn't yeah anyway uh, we are spoiler free <laughs> to the end of the podcast for a special segment we call Davos after dark don't worry we will warn you when that comes up with Matt's little jingle and uh, you can jump off if you don't want spoilers.
1: Absolutely, and of course, we love to hear from you. We always think of this as a way to... Uh, chat back and forth with everyone this isn't us just talking at you we like it to be a conversation so we love to hear from you guys whether you're suggesting topics for future episodes you're asking us questions giving us insights telling us new theories you've come up with telling us how bad we suck on something whatever uh you can reach out to us through davosfingers.com our tumblr site you've also got our email address we are davosfingers at gmail.com our Twitter handle is at DavosFingers. We are on Facebook, and you can also learn more about our Patreon program at patreon.com slash Yeah,
0: you can. All right, should we jump right on in? Let's do it, baby. The Griffin a reborn. Who could that be?
3: Some bonds are written ink, but the best are written blood, and you know that I'd do anything to save you if I could. So I'll dig my heels in deep, elevate my prince's son, the bells will chime redemption for John Connington. John with a gone
0: Connington. This ain't John Connington's first rodeo. And it won't be his last. While he still feels the pain and guilt of having failed his king and his prince at the Battle of the Bells, it is that very experience and that pain that keeps him on, fo- all focused and dedicated, leading him to victory here at his ancestral home, Griffin's Roost. He sends the archers in first, Black Balak and 200 of his finest, sent to surround the Maester's Tower and shoot down any bird that leaves. It is crucial to egg on the sixth's campaign that no one know who they are and why they are there. It works, nothing gets out, and John's company moves fast enough that the defenders aren't even ready to defend Griffin's Roost. They can't even get the oil boiling fast enough to defend themselves. John loses four, count them, one, two, three, four, in the assault which lasts only minutes. John has the denizens rounded up and makes sure there's no way to escape, informing those doing the searching of the secret ins and outs of the Roost. Then John ascends the tallest tower while descending into his own memories. Memories of visiting this place with Rhaegar in a previous life. He takes in the views from the top of the crag, the sea, the wood that surrounds the keep. Your father's lands are beautiful, Rhaegar had said. And he was right. The lands he had been his briefly before he shamed himself, and they were given to his cousin, Sir Ronald. But when Robert won, House Connington was marginalized, made knights instead of lords, and most of their lands were taken. But that was all his own fault, he knew that. He had desperately wanted to prove himself worthy of his office and of Rhaegar's love. He desperately wanted to take down Triple B all on his own. But we know what happened. We've been here before. Robert hid himself all over Stony Sept, the citizens helping him stay that way, until Ned and Hoster came to save the day, Triple B almost killing Jon on the steps of the Sept that day as the battle turned for the Rebels. He had tried to convince himself over the years that it wasn't his fault, that he had done everything he could that day, but Miles Toyn of the Golden Company had corrected him. Tylon would have just burned that shit down, man. But he hadn't wanted that. He had wanted the glory of slaying Triple B on his own. But that's why he's here today, dedicated to serving Rhaegar's son since he failed Rhaegar himself. He places the remaining Gryphon relatives under guard in a tower and promises that nothing need change for the rest of them so long as they continue to serve. All agreed, no conflict though the blood relations are none too eager to give up their claim and give him some attitude. John seeks out Halden to strategize, the half-maester. They had landed on Cape Wrath, hoping to persuade some fickle stormlords to join their cause, but only half their number had arrived on time. Still, they had moved quickly and expected to hold three Stormland castles overnight. Further, they were learning of all the tumult throughout the kingdom by reading the previous maester's correspondence. The circumstances seem perfect for their arrival. It's ripe here, like a peach. Still, they need a major ally to join quickly. Dorne is the best and closest option, but they will need some sort of persuasion. Halden suggests Aegon's hand in marriage. But Jon wants to keep him unattached in case Dany emerges from the east. Well, one of the few remaining chips they have available then is Jon's own hand in marriage. An icy stare is the only response the half-maester receives. Jon sleeps, wakes, and calls a war council. They have learned that a wayward ship has taken Estermont and hostages, and John decides it is time to bring Aegon to the roost. Also, that they must have Dorn, and the only way to get it is to convince Dorn that they will win. A show of strength is needed, and John knows just what it will be: taking Storm's End by guile. They will wait ten days to prepare. Then they march for Storm's End. Aegon joins them on the fourth day. More of the company has arrived by then, including some elephants. With him, his first of his Kingsguard, Raleigh Duckfield, and Septa L'Amor. Aegon has heard of the plan to take Storm's End. He only has one change. He intends to lead it. End of chapter. Oh boy. Oh boy. Getting him out of his uh, underoos there. Yeah, yeah, he's grown right out of them. Put on his big boy pants. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, first of all, uh, I just want to mention, I, I, I didn't... It's just awkward to include. I didn't. I didn't add anything about John's hands, uh, which is part of the third episode title. It's there, important. Yeah. Um, he's got the grayscale. It's creeping up his hand uh, past past the second knuckle on his middle finger. I believe it was. Uh, don't want it to go unmentioned. Um, so he's got he's got a sense of fate about him that probably is driving him to be speedy, which mm-hmm. uh, adds an interesting element to this whole thing. Right. Uh, yeah, uh, there's definitely a sense of urgency. That he feels that everyone else might not, right?
1: hmm
0: But he wants to keep it that way. Right, may, yeah, maybe, yeah. Uh, I mean, that was one of his main reasons that he told
1: Halden for not wanting to marry. Well, no, he didn't tell Halden, but he thought that he thought when I was talking to Halden Halfmeister. Uh, you know, he marries someone. They're going to find out his little secret hiding right. under the glove there. Right, so... That's an interesting spot to be in because he knows that perhaps there's a chance if he removes, you know, his affected fingers, uh, sometimes works, sometimes doesn't, it mm-hmm. sounds like, but he feels he can't afford to remove those fingers because people would notice and start asking questions and yeah. he feels it would cause a problem. So it's an awfully interesting predicament where he's kind of given himself over to his fate, but wanting to complete his task of doing right by Rhaegar's son
0: first yep. yep, it's interesting it is it's it's also interesting because John is only 40 he's not sure he's not an old done man you know mm-hmm. I mean he's basically my at age the, right I mean he's he, not a Barristan sell me at the end of his life right yeah. right you could see somebody like Barristan making that choice being like I've lived life you know i have done you know, I'll just I'll just let this happen, and there are good reasons to let it happen. Otherwise, so I'll just let it happen. But you know, mm-hmm. he's got some good years ahead of him. And yeah, Halden says you could still have kids, man. Yeah, like, this could work out. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh. Also, I guess a quick fuck you to George. Uh, I already mm-hmm. have a Roland Storm. Now I have to deal with a fucking Ronald Storm. Come on, man. That's what you get, boy. Yeah what you get. I don't them have room in, the, uh, in my brain for this. Them and the Kettle Black Brothers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Goodness gracious. <laughs> one of them's yep. got a badass name, though. It's Roland, right? The mm. Bastard Storm or something? Or
1: Yep. Hmm. yeah.
0: Even though this Quite kid would also be the Bastard Storm. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, the other one could be, too. So <laughs> Any Storm Stormcat. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway. Uh... What do you got? Anything Anything juicy? I don't
1: know that I've got anything juicy. Uh, isn't it funny how John Connington is completely running this show? Yeah. Homeless Harry Strickland is doing nothing yeah. <laughs> except complain about his elephants not being there and stuff. Yeah.
0: Uh, I mean, I, I guess you could argue, like, maybe good job. He knows his limitations. Let John do it. I don't know. We have to remember that these men knew each other well yep mm-hmm. um and you know maybe harry just knows johns john was hand at 22 he knew the shit he was doing right like let's yeah. let him let's let him run this thing um yeah homeless harry
1: doesn't seem like the type who's like no i'm the leader and yes. i have to command i have to be he's like are you still paying us the same amount Okay. Fine. Yeah, then yeah. fine. Yeah, it's your money. But we, yours. But can we wait for the elephants, please? please. Yeah. please. Do miss my elephants. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, you you get the sense that John is uh you know, very capable. Even even just the subtle hints they give uh in the chapter about the keep seems to kind of be falling in disru in into ruin a little bit. He has to like right shove real hard with his shoulder to get the trap door to work to get to the top of the tower. Um, you know, I can't remember all the, all the examples, but just little things that, that seem like it's not... You know, the the, the gate wasn't, wasn't barred. Um, it was closed, but it wasn't barred. So, like, they rammed it open real fast. Um, the watch wasn't really paying attention. Like, it just does not seem like there's they're like doing a good guys. job here. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, there's a bit of a skeleton crew. They've got people off, off fighting, right? But, um, yep. in the war, but still... Um, i i think it's done purposefully to contrast john's aptitude again, sure. against you know the lack of it here
1: mm-hmm. yep absolutely agree uh you brought this up in your summary um how fortunate was the timing of them doing this like yeah. they missed the storm's end siege by we don't have the exact timeline, I don't think, but I'm guessing maybe, uh, judging by this reading order, a matter of weeks.
0: You mean when, when Mace has picked up and left?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's... Not only would Mace have been camped out in front of Storm's End when they went and tried to take it, but the red wine ships that were there participating in the siege might have prevented the Golden Company from even landing. Yeah. Right? Yeah, perhaps. I mean... Uh, that's like a matter of weeks that they were just there if that
0: right and uh, that uh that uh segues well into the Sakansus sus mapas ah, for, you want to talk about where griffin's, griffin's roost, roost. Is? and we can go right back to your point um about it but it's um it's kind of quite strategically located yes exactly very strategically located it's in shipbreaker bay if you remember the story of Uh, Triple B and Stannis and Renly's parents, uh, dying there in that, uh, in that storm. Uh, and, and of course Storm's End always being the, facing the brunt of, of these storms. Griffin's Roost is all the way to the back of that bay, right? As far in as you can get, kind of on a little, on a little jut of land, uh, kind of at the, at the very back of that bay. So Mm -hmm. it kind of sits on the very edge of Cape Wrath, um, you know, pretty close to Storm's End, not far, and so, yeah, I mean, those ships are coming in, They wouldn't have been that far from Storm's End when they came through, um, yep. you know, Shipbaker Bay is not, it, it's, it's not, uh, you know, the Bay of, of Dorne down there, the Sea of Dorne, it's not even Blackwater Bay, it's, it's smaller, right, and so it's mm-hmm. certainly not, a, not a lot of room in there, if, if, uh, yeah, if if the uh yeah, that thing if, would have been clogged full of red Full wine of red wine chips, yeah. Just so a yeah. short time
1: before. <laughs> yeah, your point is well made. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, the Tyrells and Lannisters were had their uneasy peace going and now that's over. Yes. So that's fractured. They don't have to worry about that. Right. You know, the high sparrows come in and further um discombobulated things in the capital city. Like, this is just and this is just as fortunate
0: a timing as you could have landed and Dorne too with all the stuff that went on with Marcella and that whole thing being uneasy right
1: that's going crazy yep they came in man you couldn't have planned that better
0: Stannis being all the way up north up north he's not gonna (laughs) give me he's not in the way crap (laughs) right like uh you know the and I don't think they know this part yet either but the Iron Men also um you know serving as as you know they're the distraction they're they're giving right Yep, over uh, around
1: doing over in the reach. Yeah, right. So, and not to mention you got you got a hundred ships or so making their way to that uh, Yes, be a problem now. I mean, and and even you know they talk about the headache that it is of all the ships not arriving together and not knowing where half of them are and everything. It's of kind of a benefit. Company. It kind of has worked out. <laughs> yeah. We saw in the last Cersei chapter that Kevin. When he comes to talk to Cersei, he's like, "We've got reports of cell swords landing all over, and we can't figure out a pattern to it or anything." It's it's put Kevin and his guys completely in a sense of confusion. They don't know where to strike yeah. yet, and because they're just landing all over the place, um, and and so it's actually been kind of good for him.
0: Yeah, uh, you ready to talk Rhaegar? We can talk the Rhaegster. So. I rose too high, loved too hard, dared too much. I tried to grasp a star overreached and fell. Gasp, double gasp. That is just George at his best. Agreed. Beautiful. It's a prime line. It's it is it has it's one of the best. I love it's it. It's gotta be. I tried to grasp a star overreached and fell. So tragic.
2: Mm-hmm. <sighs> love it.
0: And uh, fell hard. What's that? And fell hard. Fell hard. Yeah. I, and you know, I, I don't. I don't think he. I don't think he mixes his words too much in this chapter. I mean, he. I think he was in love with Rhaegar, right? Um, that's what it sounds like here, right? Earning Rhaegar's love, he says. Um, you know, he has this conversation. He dwells on the fact that it was just one, up at the top of this keep. He was trying to impress him. Um, I don't know. What do you think?
1: Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> There's some hero worship going on at the very least. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the way that he thinks about Rhaegar, the way that he thinks about Aaliyah, Rhaegar's wife. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she's, what did he say about her? It wasn't complimentary. Some... Some wispy weak thing she yes didn't get. she did she didn't deserve a guy like Rhaegar Just
0: kind of bashing on her Whereas yeah as we remember, get I don't remember the words but yes he was not a fan
1: right and I think oh I better not say it because I read ahead a little bit in the 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 Barristan storyline and Boston uh-huh. has thoughts about Aaliyah and I can't remember if it's
0: here if or it's there the yeah, chapters
1: yeah. we've read or not but right um anyways. Uh yeah, there's definitely something there. Uh in a So Spake Martin, someone asked George the question, Is a certain POV character in a dance with dragons gay? George's answer was I can't answer without spoiling, but if you're talking about what I think you're talking about, then yes. <laughs> uh, he mentions there are gay characters in A Song of Ice and Fire. He mentioned Loris and Renly saying that he included what I thought were subtle but clear hints. <laughs> and then he digs at HBO. He says HBO was not subtle about it. <laughs> but uh, So, I mean, we can go down the list of uh, A Dance with Dragon POVs and... By process of elimination I you think you are pretty on safe with John Connington
0: <laughs> yeah yeah well uh, he's he's an interesting POV uh, definitely different than than what we get everywhere else a, a, a different side of the history of the war than, mm-hmm. than we usually hear um, and uh,
1: yeah just interesting yeah we see this guy that got screwed by both sides yeah right Ares was mad at him for failing. Yes. And then Robert takes power and screws him even more.
0: And, yeah. I uh, mean, he'd already been banished by then uh, by Ares. Right. But in terms of, I guess, not but the so family screwed John, but screwed house conning. Type. Right. Yeah. The family, yeah. And, yeah. I mean, it, John, you know, it's interesting. You, you want to like him, but he's also, he's not a great dude. You know? I mean, it wasn't. He didn't. He didn't not burn the town out of pity, right? He could have, in this POV, said, "Well, I wasn't going to burn down the town. That's monstrous." He doesn't say that. He says, "No, I wanted the glory. I wanted, you know, it's arrogance that stayed his hand." Was mm-hmm. that? That he uh... wanted? Yeah,
1: he wanted to look good to everybody. Yeah, he wanted to look good to the king because he killed the the great pretender. Yes, and but he also wanted to be someone that the small folk could.
3: He, oh he was cool to us he's no tywin lannister
0: you know was well, there's, there's the, that line in lord of the rings uh about uh, frodo says it was a pity bilbo didn't kill him when he had the chance or something and Gandalf says it mm-hmm. pity that stayed his hand he stayed his hand yeah and that is not what stayed john's hand is here it's not, the case. <laughs> that <is> not... Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah the anti He was interested bilbo. in the
1: glory that yes. he would, would be heaped on him by everybody um and you know what even accepting that uh tywin's way would have been more effective he still is being approaching this griffin's roost thing the same way um he could have come in and killed the heirs to you know arnold and roland and all these people yeah he still wants to keep them alive and um i think he mentions them this being is hostages, a little different but, doesn't right? he
0: like the, they he, have value or something
1: he, this is different, uh, you know. It's not an apples-to-apples apples comparison. The Battle of the Bells and yeah, the yeah. taking of Griffin's Roost. Um, he realizes that PR is more important this time around because he needs to get as many lords onto his side as he possibly can. Um, this is turning into a numbers game, and that's not going to look good for him if he's butchering everybody. So,
0: right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't have. I don't have a whole lot more. Uh, yeah, not not a whole lot more. Do you got anything? Nope, I'm just interested to
1: see where this goes, Scad. We've talked about this before, of just the idea of these characters being introduced so late in the game when you're already so invested in these characters that have been around for three previous books, three, four previous books. Yep. It's like... It's so weird, and it's also, you know, it's weird of George to do it, and it's also brilliant of George to do it, because we're left here thinking, this seems like a big deal. Yes. But are you really going to introduce this big a deal so far into the books?
0: Yeah. And and we're going to talk so, about another one later in this episode, too, in a similar circumstance. Yeah. hmm
1: Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Uh, you want to, like invest but i still find myself kind of keeping them at arm's distance like
0: because are they just going to be dead next chapter right it's it's brilliant by george yeah it's frustratingly brilliant what one one more just tiny little thing uh they landed on cape wrath they're taking cape wrath towns and and castles and things Uh, just hope davos family's okay
1: yeah it's totally like searching for any shred of evidence yeah (laughs) like because we we don't know where he lives we don't know we know that his his sweet little wife and the two boys are there somewhere.
0: I wonder if George has ever said something like that in the So Spake Martin, and we just don't know it. Like, Nothing that I've found. Like, this is exactly where he lives. I don't live in So Spake Martin. I go there very infrequently. I should go more.
1: I mostly rely on other people yeah. to Point put it, it out. into some of their blog posts or essays or something, and I see them there. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> All right, shall we move on to the Queens Garden? Yes. Alright, Queensguard. I think we've got uh gotta climb into a new head, and that means a new song!
3: to the b-a-double-i-i-s-t-a-n nine penny kings to defeat at the try to dance sell me is tripping because he's out living three kings and maybe more and that white cloak makes it easy to see but it can also make it hard to breathe sell me the boldest thing have you finally found have you finally found your queen
0: barry is on the unemployment line again and you guys, it's hard out there for a man in his 60s that can't keep monarchs standing on their own two feet. He's got his resume up on Indeed, LinkedIn, even Monster.com, that old thing. In fact, I think he never took it down from the last time. But at least this time, SoMi is not the only one being let go. The shave paid is out. Misande too, the unsullied shelved for the time being in their barracks, and even Danny's Kalizar, that my that minor little Kalizar, sent on a seemingly pointless mission of finding Danny somewhere in the Dothraki Sea. Since she's suspected dead, this feels like just kind of getting them out of the way. Basically, it is his Dars Day in the Sun now. He just couldn't wait to be king, and he's gonna do it all his way. Right, pit fighters protected now. But there's the, there's this one thing though. If the peace fails, Barry still gets to run the army. They aren't dumb enough to put the pit fighters in charge of that. So, anyway, what does Barry do now? Well, he does the same thing most people do when they retire. He spends more time on his hobbies, his nights. A few are almost ready, and that pleases him. He's very excited about that, and frankly, so is this reader. I just love that idea. Uh, anyway, Barry's still staying in the royal apartments that Daniel used to live in, uh, now deserted, save for Fermosande, who's also running around. Barry's mopey, though, man. Barriston is mopey talking no end of shit about how old he is, how tired, how he's failed. It's some real Danny Glover shit. Remembering his glory days, it's dreary stuff, to be honest. Not reflective of the man we've grown to know. But this is our first look inside his head, so maybe he's always thinking that way. Well, we don't know. Just not the impression we got from other people looking at him. Anyway, we do, though, get the story from right after Danny left. After taking off on Drogon... He didn't just fly away, he hung around long enough to roast over two hundred people and cause mass trampling hysteria below. Some claim Danny fell from him and died, others that she rode off with Drogon only to be devoured by him, but Barry doesn't believe any of that. Perhaps she is going home. She couldn't leave without us, sir. Takes the emerging Misande to break him from his stupor. The shave pate wants to meet him, she says. Nobody should be reading the Shave with the Shave Paint though, guys. He is an enemy to the King, and it could go very badly for anyone contacting him. Barry even remembers back to the White Book. The worst of his brothers were those that played the Game of Thrones, the ones that sneaked and spied, playing secrets. Still, even remembering that, he accepts arranging a meeting after dark by the stables, but not before he dwells more on his failures. Epic sigh, and instructs his knights in training! Twenty-five or so boys, some of them showing real promise. It's real exciting. He's super stoked. Anyway, back to the clandestine meetings. On his way to the meeting, Barristan questions where his loyalties lie. With the crown, surely, right? His dar, or maybe not. Danny is the one that decides who he protects, and he never was informed to protect his dar. So maybe this isn't treason? Question mark. Anyway, the Shave informs Barrison that the brazen beasts are still his. They'll still follow his commands. Also that he has found Strong Belwas's poisoner, a confectioner, that was uh, being kind of forced to do it by the Harpy. And that the target was Danny, not Strong Belwas, which I think we probably all imagined was true. Also, that the peace won't last. Not without Danny and the dragons. Without them, Yukai, while still a bit disorganized, is less apt to stay peaceful. Oh, and Valentus is on the way too. He insists they must fight now to stop the Yunkai before Volantis arrives, and he asks Barry to bring in the Unsullied. They can't win without him. Barry hesitantly agrees with a few conditions. This is treason, he notes, and he needed to be assured of a couple things. First, he wants to question the confectioner that made the locust. Second, he wants promises, assurances, that Skaha's, the Shavepate, will leave his dar alone until proof is found. The Shavepate agrees... Disagreeably, now the chapter ends.
1: The shave paid agreeing to anything agreeably.
0: No, he's not he's, doing anything agreeably. He's he's
1: a surly sort. He is just a cranky fella.
0: Yeah, a bit. But you know what? I don't blame him. You know, put himself out there. Uh, you know, took a risk to support Danny, and now he's kind of. I mean, I guess you'd argue he's reaping what he sowed, but a bit. you know. But also, he feels. I think he feels a little hard done.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah,
0: I mean, you you remember him fighting against the marriage to begin with, right? Like, I think I think he, I think he knew that when the marriage happened, the writing maybe was a little bit on the wall for him. Oh yeah. Yeah, he's like From looking back in hindsight, we're all like, yeah. <laughs> he's like the motorcycle that like, the husband doesn't get a keep when he gets married because the wife is like, eh, you know, like that's dangerous, and I don't like him. We don't get along yeah maybe we should we um, should sell that
3: Maybe we should sell that think about the money that we could go on vacation
0: i love how we're like taking what is a completely reasonable request to get rid of a murder machine and making the woman sound completely unreasonable <laughs> like yeah that I motorcycle will literally or... kill you in like three years yeah. And we're like making her sound unreasonable for wanting to get yeah. rid of it, for protecting her. Yeah, I grew her husband.
1: up in a household where, how, where motorcycles were just off limits. You didn't ride on them, you didn't get one. Oh, yeah, you nothing. told me this. And hasn't that made you want one more? No, actually. I, oh. I really don't have any desire. Um, my dad would, would be just fine whipping out his uh, shoebox of photos that he kept at the top of his closet. No, not those types of photos, people. He had two boxes. Uh, I'm sure he had two boxes. <laughs> he'd pull out one of the boxes <laughs> from his crime scene in, or accident investigation days. Where
0: Ugh. He'd, and he'd show me the blood and guts and gore. Ugh. Isn't that yeah. like evidence? Uh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we don't talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had all sorts of fun pics in
1: there. <laughs> Jeez, The one where the crotch rocket went out into the intersection and the semi truck was already out in the intersection ooh and the crotch rocket made it through to the other side of the semi truck went under the semi truck and made it out the other oh, side but the human
0: but splattered. the human
1: head ooh. did not make it
0: complete decapitation here's the thing about the human head pretty awesome can do intense yeah. calculations but it's not, you know, the sturdiest of things. Nope. It's got that little, little thing connecting it to the rest of the body, and you you know? And you, you even mess with that just a tiny bit. And, and you're paralyzed. Wow, this got dark real fast. What happened to us?
1: Yep. Well, Barristan's in a bad place, and so now apparently <laughs> we are too.
0: <laughs> oh, <geez>. Ah, <laughs> oh, Can we get back to politics, please? All right. Uh, the perfumed seneschal Still up in the air prophecy says beware the perfumed seneschal. Barristan mentions twice in the
1: chapter he couldn't stand Resnack's
0: perfume yeah a man should smell like leather and oil or something what was it leather and sweat I think he said Mm, yum musky Uh, I just I just don't get the feeling that Resnack, Resnack is that important exactly
1: really you're gonna have a whole prophecy about this guy yeah nah
0: I mean no he thanks. had I mean I feel like he was betraying her though I've, I've always felt like this little mealy guy like he just he's not trustworthy I never liked him but like he didn't do anything like prophecy filling right I think that I think this ball is still up in the air
1: yeah and and maybe it's a I thought that maybe it's a general warning against yeah. perfumed seneschals in general yeah. not so much that particular person a seneschal who's wearing a lot of perfume but just look a more than what's on the surface yeah of people dig a little yeah. deeper dig past the perfume and the and the uh uh the words the gratifying words and stuff like that the suck up and everything yeah and Look through that to see what a person really is. Beware the perfume, Seneschal.
0: Yeah. Uh. All right. Um. The, the you know here's something that you don't hear. I I don't anyway. Read or hear, hear people talk about this much. Drogon killed two hundred and fourteen Merenese on the way out. On the way yeah. out. You don't. You don't hear people talk but like. How is Danny going to? We hear in her brain all the time, talking like remembering Hosea, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like how is she going to justify coming back to these people? That how do you come back? How do you from come that? back from murdering two hundred and fourteen of the citizens while you're on their back? Right. I know she didn't do it. It's not like she was commanding him, you know, Drakaris to kill them or anything. But she certainly felt responsible for Hosea, and I imagine she's going to feel responsible for this like we talk a little bit about Danny's headspace and where she might be at wherever she is uh but i don't i don't knowing Danny and who she has been hard for me to imagine her coming back to this city yeah
1: and are you talking about you know from her perspective, you mentioned Hosea, of her being able to deal with what happened. Or are you talking about the Myronese people in general being like, nah, you're not coming back here? Or
0: both? It could be both. I'm referring to her right? psyche, but yeah. but yeah, I mean, the Myronese hate her anyway, most of them, right? I mean, the ruling class for sure. The, the, the common, ruling class. The common people maybe yeah. don't. Uh, and so maybe they take her back, but. I don't know. I just in her own head, like it's hard for me to think of a way that the kind of person she is, unless she goes through, you know, unless she goes through a major change, uh, it's hard to imagine her being able to deal with this. Yeah, which she did go through a major change
1: just in those few minutes, right? It in, felt like it, yeah. In pit, yeah, where you know all this work that she'd put into place to try to rule marine
0: fairly and get it back on its feet and everything. Yep. And she rides off on a dragon. Well she exalted in the moment, right? And th- there's there's a difference, we've all been there, of well hopefully we've all been there, of exulting in the moment <laughs> and enjoying it and just living it and breathing it and being in it. But then there's... that's healthy to a degree. Yeah, sure. Depending on the situation. <laughs> but right. We're skirting a lot of topics here. Uh Sam and Gilly on the boat, right? Give into the moment, right? Live yeah, it, let it happen. But but then there's then there's the hangover afterward, right? Like, she's gonna remember this, I think. Mm-hmm. And she's not good with with violence against the innocent.
1: Yeah. And and you know what, Barristan maybe needs us there too to remind him of that because the impression I get from the chapter is. Danny's going to come back and we'll get everything going good again. You know, everything will be okay. Yeah. Danny will come back. It's not going to be that easy. I think he knows that deep down. I think but... he
0: does too. I mean, you can hear it when he's trying to convince Missande that it's going to be okay. Right. Like they have, they both have to believe that. What else can they do? Hit the road for the sell Me and Misande show. I mean, I'd read that if George put it <laughs> out, but, um, you know, like, what are their options? They have to just sit tight and hope. But he doesn't... Yeah, I'm not sure how much he believes it or not. Mm-hmm. He says he does. He says he believes she's coming back. I don't know.
1: But what's going to happen when she does? And yeah. maybe he's like, okay, we'll figure that out when we get to it. Yeah. But yeah, to segue, maybe, that's one thing I love about this Barristan POV. Uh, yes, it's very brooding. Uh, Yes, we get some tremendous insight into, you know, what his past experiences, how they've shaped him and who he is today. One thing I did love seeing was his absolute devotion to Daenerys. Yes. He wants to serve his queen. In fact, even when she's gone, what is he doing? He's training up a bunch of knights, which I think is fantastic, too. It's so cool. Mm -hmm. So just fun to protect Danny. Mm hmm. He's like, when I'm gone, they can protect her. Right. And there's something really admirable about that. Maybe also something kind of sad. You look back at this accomplished soldier and realize that his whole life has been devoted to protecting someone else. People, some people who he didn't even like, right? Ares. Yeah. But uh, Robert too, I mean. yeah, Robert, yeah. yeah. There's something kind of sad in that too that you know, what has he done for him? And I think that training these boys is actually a little bit of both. He still feels like he's doing something for someone else, for Danny, but this is also a way for him to, for his legacy to live on in some way. Yeah. And these beyond the White that, Book. Yeah. That are going to, they're going to, you know, not only did he teach them just how to be warriors, he taught them to be swords, he gave them a chance at something else. A lot of them, right, were slaves, were little slave boys, were born into slave families or. You know didn't have a lot going for him and now they've got something yeah and he gave them that right you know and that's really cool they've got opportunity which many of them sounds like they didn't have before
0: yeah i would love i'd love to hear a little bit more give a couple names give a couple examples Mm -hmm. who won horse two you know let's talk about this a little bit but uh (laughs) you know there's only time for so much george isn't writing 10 books here he's writing you know seven or maybe eight if you believe me yeah um so he's a uh, it's interesting to be in his head. Um very. His nickname is the bold, yeah. but, he, but he really isn't bold. He's cautious bold on the field of battle. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. But he, he's cautious, not taking chances, not mm-hmm. even, you know, sometimes doing what is right but doing what was sworn. I think he I think those are words he uses in the chapter. Um I don't know, he's just kind of very I, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm conflicted, because what you get from Barristan, from Danny's POV mainly, is in fact, maybe it's only her POV recently, um, what you get is this sagely guy giving advice, that knows what he's talking about, that has experience, and, and is going to lead her the right way. And when you get in his head, <sighs> George is so good. I don't know, I get this, I I almost get like a, a little befuddled, you know, like a little unsure of himself, mm-hmm. a little, you know, and, and certainly he's in a weird spot with exactly the these set of things that happened and where he is. But I don't know, man, I wasn't, I wasn't impressed with like this military <laughs> mind that's sharp and commanding and, you know, like in, in control and composed. It's like this kind of doddering kind of old guy that's unsure of a lot of things and doesn't know and doesn't seem that smart, to be honest.
1: I can identify with that to a degree. Definitely the not being smart part. But like, um, like just tonight I was, I was talking with a guy and he asked me a question out of the blue. He's like, you seem to, he's got young children. You seem to have this parenting thing figured out, Matt, let me ask you a question. And he ran a scenario by me that was happening with him and his kids. And in my head, the whole time I'm thinking, dude, I wing seventy-five percent of what I do as a parent, as and as an adult. I think <laughs> I think have no idea. Yeah. I have no idea what I'm doing, but somehow he got the impression that I did have some, some, you know, some idea of, of what I was doing. So I can identify with Barristan there that maybe you know the bold exterior belies a certain amount of. Discomfort and,
2: and uncertainty, everything. and yeah,
1: yeah, and yeah, figuring this out for ourselves still. Um, but I get what you're saying. You, you get inside his head, and you're like, Oh, well, this takes me a little bit of, by surprise, yeah. Um, and instead of this, like you said, this bold military commander who seems very well in control, you see a man who is very comfortable in having. Uh, in having structure about his life of knowing exactly what he's supposed to be doing and just being comfortable with doing that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. This wasn't a man who was out planning military campaigns. It was okay, I've got a job to do. When I wake up in the morning, I'm going to put on my armor and I'm going to go protect the
0: king or whoever the king wants me to protect. That is my job. Right. And and if the cha- and maybe if if we hadn't been meeting him under the circumstances of his monarch being taken away and maybe mm-hmm. that structure being ripped from him a little bit maybe it would read differently so I'll, I'll sure. give the benefit of the doubt there but i did yeah i expected his brain to be more like kind of like what you're saying a military time entry mm-hmm. ate three eggs a military time entry plus 10 you know <laughs> used the bathroom you know like like a very regimented kind of uh-huh. controlled brain that is walking through his day in a sharp manner, and you just—that's right. not at all what you get. And again, that it would also be a terrible POV to read. I'm not asking George to have done that; uh, oh, it'd be boring not. as shit. I just yeah. uh, more—I'm using extreme right. More structure is what I expected to his yeah. like to the way he approaches things.
1: Yeah, and it makes it so much more interesting. Like you're like you're getting to that it's not that
0: way. Yeah, you know.
1: He's a man who feels he's driven almost primarily by guilt, right? Yeah, it he feels, feels that way, a, yeah. a tremendous sense of survivor's guilt for outliving you know how many monarchs now? Uh Jehaerys, Ares, and Robert. And Joffrey he was dismissed when Joffrey came along though, right? He was yeah, dismissed yeah, true. at that point. Yep. So three kings that died before him who he was sworn to protect. You know, and not that only that, but he thinks of Aaliyah and he thinks of the babies. Yep. You know, Rhaegar's children. Um and he just can't he almost can't live with himself if that were to happen to Canarias again. It's it's so it's so almost jarring to see a man who's that driven by guilt. And then also to see someone who's you know, we talk about structure, but his confusion over what constitutes duty, you already said this, but The quote was, stood and saw, he stood and saw and heard and yet did nothing. Yeah. We're talking about the the abuse that um, Uh, Aries' wife, Rayella, or Rayella. Rayella, yes, you're right. Rayella had to endure. He said he stood and saw and heard and yet did nothing. But then he sings, but no, no, that's not fair. I'm not being fair minded to myself. I did my duty. Right? Right. And then what was Duskendale. Yeah. Duskendale had been his finest hour, yet the memory tasted bitter on his tongue. Of course, thinking that if he hadn't mounted that almost Hollywood esque rescue
0: of King Ares, where would the realm be today? Right. Right. Yeah, I mean I had a I had a conversation with my sister today for uh like almost an hour and a half and a good portion of it. We just talked about like, you know, roads not taken. Mm -hmm. and you know like you can you can kill yourself forever wondering those things yep what if i had taken that scholarship and played soccer what if i had gone to la and failed at acting what you know like you can you can wonder forever it does no good right Mm -hmm. like barristan has to feel and i you know i understand we all do it but he's got to feel good about the choices he's made man like he's done the best he could yeah, you
1: know? absolutely. And and learn from and learn sure. from the past and, sure. and help it make you better. Which he's done actually. Yeah. He admits to Danny that he originally hid his identity from her. He he wore the Arston, you know, identity for a while specifically to feel her out, to make sure that he, she wasn't someone that he was gonna feel guilty guarding and who you know, to make sure what was oh, the word he used was taint. to make sure the taint was not in her and you know to her credit she passed the test and
0: yeah uh for uh i i I mean we've complained i've complained and then you've kind of i think just gone along with me for a while about the rules of the king's guard and yes, we finally, I made a note of this. Really finally, get shut stand sh- up. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't. I don't think I can complain about it anymore. It's just like, it's almost like he's saying, Scott at Davos Fingers, shut up. It's whatever the king wants. That's
1: what. It, that's how it works. All right. So, some context. Uh, we always wondered, and SCAD generally led these conversations. Yes. You know, if the king's guard was supposed to protect the king, how come they were always off doing so many other things other things know. Is the king and... yeah he's only got one King's guard guarding him at the time of his death and yeah the answer was that the king chose where to dispatch his King's guard and as King's guard you just said okay
0: yeah so, so also so this is my oath uh now my watch has ended uh, I will <laughs> no longer bring this up as a sore point I will clench my jaw and ignore it and read on when I see it. So sorry Kalisar for wasting, you know, minutes of your lives with this.
1: <laughs> it's a fascinating conversation while they lasted. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. And it still is weird. Like he could have chosen whether or not to have Kingsguard protect his own family, like his immediate family. Yeah. Or if you want to just keep them around him and have sworn shields or something protect his family which goes to explain you know the um bringing the kettle blacks in later on uh to protect tommen yep um sandra clegane with joffrey before he was made a kingsguard member yep yeah it explains all of
0: that yep which makes sense i'm a smart enough guy i should have just been like oh yeah they have power they can do whatever the hell they want Mm -hmm. like all right uh do, do, do i don't have i don't have a whole lot a whole lot else treason uh, question mark I don't know.
1: technically i guess so for a guy that has lived his life by the book yeah know, it's it's treason it's bold you might say it is bold yeah and he struggled with it he needed some some ibuprofen yeah right or some weed or something Some I don't know. something but just chill yeah but Alright, shall we move on? Let us move on. Okay. Yeah. We're gonna talk about someone else who maybe needs to chill a little bit. <laughs> yeah. uh, our favorite Ironborn, right? we to the Iron Suitor. We are. I don't know that the old way is a good
3: way, but it's the one way to say that the cracking ain't dead. Kraken ain't dead. cracking ain't dead. Daryl singing, The Kraken ain't dead. Kraken ain't dead. Kraken ain't dead. The singing. sing it.
1: You know, one of my favorite things to do, uh, you know, you all know how I love music, is I love songs that I can find that apply to a character, but don't feel like that character at all. So Vic is uh In the words of Jack Johnson, yes, Victorian Greyjoy with Jack Johnson. Isn't that great? Vic was sitting, waiting, wishing, and he's starting to believe that to continue the song, that uh, Lord knows that this world is cruel and I ain't the Lord. No, I'm just a fool. Well, I was sitting, waiting, wishing you believed in superstitions, then maybe you'd see the signs. Uh, He's pretty frustrated, Victorian is. You see, barely over half. Of the fleet he had started out with has made it to the rendezvous point at the Isle of Cedars on their way to Marine to get Danny. That half includes ships they'd captured along the way. Uh, one of his captains, Raft the Limper, blames storms, suggesting also that Euron's fear of Victarion led to him sending him on this apparent suicide mission around the world. Uh, victarian knocks Raff around a bit for even making such outrageous claims and reaffirms i will have my fleet but inside we find out doubt is beginning to fester for victarian much like his wounded hand i mean did he not pray hard enough to the gods why isn't this working out better oh well to continue the song i can't be always waiting waiting on you he decides and he finally gives orders for the fleet to make ready to depart the next day. They do leave one ship behind to tell the stragglers as they come in, hey, victorian went that way. Um, but full fleet or not, it's imperative that he beat the Volantine fleet to Marine. He must have his pride. So after giving the order, Victarion retires to his cabin and to the ever-silent and waiting dusky woman. He broods while she listens and unwraps his hand uh, later to be treated by the maester who's on board the ship. The wound he'd taken in the previous battle with Talbert Sari is truly disgust- disgusting, the flesh around it green and black, filled with pus and stinking. But when this maester, whose name is Kerwin, suggests amputation, Victarion threatens death and raping. Switch the order though, something Carwin has actually—well, uh, the latter being something Carwin has already been a victim of on this trip. So Carwin drains the pus, redresses the wound, and away Carwin goes. Drain the pus, put some more bandaging around it, hope it gets better. But with the wound not healing, Victorian wonders if Seri's blade had been poisoned, or maybe even if this Maester Carwin is intentionally not treating it correctly. In order to get rid of him. I mean, this maester was a gift from Euron after all. He continues to brood to the dusky woman until he gets word that one of his captains has fished a wizard from the sea. A wizard, Harry. He goes up to find a large man, black of skin with a tattooed face. Victorian has never seen him, but we have... It's Mokoro, the red priest who is lost in the storm that took Tyrion's ship just a couple chapters back. Uh, the captain who found Makoro, whose nickname is The Vol, claims Mokoro knew they were headed for Slaver's Bay, and Mokoro also knew that Victarion would be there at this very place, latitude and longitude-wise. He also knows, The Vol, claims that Victarion would surely die unless Mokoro could provide him aid. Scoffing at the very notion that he could die, Victorion considers for the briefest of moments, acquiescing to the demands of his crew and slitting the priest's throat. But instead, he has him brought to his cabin, and uh, his hand in such agony that Victorion can barely talk. So upon entering the cabin, the dusky woman uncharacteristically hisses at Makoro, in revulsion, almost, Victorion silences her with a slap and begins to question Makoro. The Red Priest reveals that he has seen Victorion in his fires, that Victorion came striding through the flames, stern and fierce, his great axe dripping blood, but blind to the tentacles that grasp him at wrist and neck and ankle. The black strings that make you dance, Makoro says. Victarian counters, as you can imagine Victorian would, that he is no one's puppet, and shows Makoro his wounded hand. Makoro claims that he can heal the wound with blade and fire. There will be terrible pain, he warns, but Victorian's hand will be returned to him. Victorian allows Makoro to try, but threatens death as the consequence of failure. And then let's read a little quote here. The Iron Captain was not seen again that day but as the hours passed the crew of his Iron Victory reported hearing the sound of wild laughter coming from the captain's cabin laughter deep and dark and mad and when Longwater Pike and Wolf One-eye tried the cabin door they found it barred later singing was heard a strange high wailing song in a tongue the master said was high valerian that was when the monkeys left the ship screeching as they leapt into the water more about those monkeys later, perhaps. Uh, that night, Victarian returned to the deck, his left hand covered in blood up to the elbow, and the hand charred and blackened, even smoking. He orders Maester Carwin to be thrown into the ocean as a sacrifice for favorable winds as they make for Marine. And his last thought is of Makoro's vision of a married Daenerys, of which Victarian's not worried. She would not be the first person he had made a widow. And so ends the Iron Suitor chapter.
0: That That is a ride of a chapter. Right? Yeah. Some crazy stuff in there. Uh, what was crazy to you? Well, um, we've talked before on this cast about the Maesters and their mm-hmm. seeming hatred of magic and maybe even... Maybe even hiding magic from the world, maybe. Yeah. Trying to rid it, maybe actively. It's, it's a little bit, you know, in shadow. I don't, I don't think it's super obvious, but it can be inferred um, from from what's been read. And here we have the first piece of advice, or maybe even you could call it command, from Makoro. Is to throw this bitch overboard, right? To, to, to get rid of this maester, throw him into the sea. And yeah. uh, so, so that's a little, you know, uh, th- this ever, ever growing, I guess, conflict between the masers and magic slash maybe specifically lore. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's I think it's I think it's a little weird. It is. You know, you had yeah. Mel, uh, Mel's pretty fucked up relationship with Cressen um, mm-hmm. you know she she really did that guy dirty um, she doesn't seem to like Maesters I don't know that there's a lot of other examples we don't get any of that from Thoros that I've seen um, nope. but it certainly feels like Makoro is not on board with Maesters
1: absolutely not uh, and what's interesting in the chapter is that apparently a lot of people aren't on board with Makoro.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. Uh,
1: his crew, uh, Victorians' crew once once him killed. Um, the dusky woman had this very uncharacteristic yeah. hissing attack when she came in. Yeah. Um, the comical part of the whole chapter was the monkeys, right? Yes. And apparently the Isle of Cedars where they had... Um, weighed anchor while waiting for the other ships was is infested by monkeys and that infestation bled over onto the ships and they sit and throw crap at victorian and stuff like that it's great but it's but, yeah yeah they even they even jumped overboard and left the ship as makoro started
0: working his magic it's fascinating yeah and and it but but it's but it's also yeah i mean it's disturbing. It's 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 a interesting thing from George. I mean, he takes these monkeys that are running around and playing games with the crew and teasing them and throwing poop and doing all these things, which are kind of they're kind of funny. It's provides some levity, mm-hmm. and Levity's it turns it. Yep. it turns macabre and sinister in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, what movie is it? I can see it, but I can't remember what it was. Where? Yeah, you've got these apes of some kind, and they're they're being crazy, you know, shrieking apes, and then all of a sudden they just go quiet, and they're all just staring. What is that from? That sounds terrifying. It it, it was yeah, it's it's a little bit it's a little bit unnerving, and I get that kind of similar sense here of like there's there's something. I mean, you asked for what's weird about the chapter. That's weird. It's weird. Mm-hmm. It was funny and whimsical and he used them as a device to throw weirdness at us. For sure. Indeed. It, you, it, monkeys don't do that. Monkeys are not they don't throw themselves into the sea just because they heard some singing. It's weird. hmm. What is going on? I don't know. <laughs> are you asking me? I don't know. A Davos after dark, maybe, but but it's weird. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
1: is this this might just be a continuation of the discussion? Is Victorian Greyjoy perhaps the most? I don't want to say devout, but uh, I don't want to say (laughs) religious either. I don't know what I want to say. One of the most willing to be faithful people in a song of ice and fire
0: yeah one of those looking for the most answers yeah right. i mean he's he's he it's wants to be led badly yeah yeah you no
1: know, he would <laughs> yeah. have killed Euron if the gods didn't hate kinslayers he's praying for the gods to bless him with more ships coming he blames his misfortunes on saying maybe he said the wrong prayers yeah uh, he even starts to doubt the omnipotence of the drowned god you know, there's no joy but in the drowned God's watery halls. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, would that the damp hair had been there, damp fair had been there with him because maybe, you know, his priestcraft could have made things better. It's just this constant thing.
0: It is, just to make a broader statement, it is one of the things I think atheists like myself worry the most about with religion. Uh-huh. Because b- we've talked about this before. I don't have any uh you know, like hatred toward religion in general. It's sure. it's extremely empowering for some people. Uh-huh. Just like a just like a lot of things, it can be used in bad ways, it can be misunderstood, it can be, you know, applied poorly, and one of the things us atheists are really afraid of is somebody with power using it really wrongly. Sure. It, using religion to you know, to drive society in certain ways and and people like victorian not knowing the fucking difference mm-hmm. and yeah he's he's easily he's easily led one direction or another by signs that he can try to attribute to some god and lo and behold he's now got a new one and he's going to try to like greek mythologize the shit out of it somehow cuz he's got this new this new flaming smoking hand that he has to attribute to this new God. And how's he going to rectify that and justify that against the drowned God? Right. He's right. got like, yeah. what's he going to, he's going to, he's going to go full on Pantheon mode now. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. He's going to go where he thinks the power resides. To yeah. Return back to stuff we've talked about before. Um, you know he decide it's interesting it, twice in the chapter he decide he says he decided he would slit the dusky woman's throat and toss her in the sea as a sacrifice to the drowned god some that somehow though he'd never quite gotten around to it that's the quote in the book yeah i just haven't done it maybe indicating a bit of a crisis of faith in the drowned god but then or
0: maybe indicating that he likes the things that she does for him. That she does more than <laughs> the sacrifice. Yeah. yeah.
1: He's willing to do what needs to be done as long as it favors him. How right. often do we see that in, in religion?
0: Well in um, well, in humanity. Really. In humanity, yeah.
1: We we're talking about my my brother in law and I were talking about someone who describes themselves as a buffet Mormon. <laughs> they pick and choose what they want to do, what's convenient to them. And uh-huh. That person completely, they coined the term. They recognize themselves as that, and they, uh-huh. they call themselves a buffet Mormon. They do what they want to do,
2: uh-huh.
1: <clears throat> the stuff that's convenient. Um, but then, of course, he's happy. After he sees this sign of Makoro and he gets his hand back, he's more than happy to slice the throat of the maester, who yeah. he already hated anyways, Yeah, and right. throw him in the sea as a sacrifice to the to yeah. this new
0: red god. Right? Yeah. You know. So, yeah. Uh, there's a lot more to, to unpack here a little bit. So I want to oh, stay with it. we go on and on. I want to stay with it for a minute, though. So, so we again, it's something I continue to bring up. Power with R'hllor. We've seen it over and over and over again. I mean, a fucking fire hand. He's made a fire hand of some like some sort of black smoking hand. Mm-hmm. It's magic. It's He's powerful. This is real, real religious power. Relor is a functional god of some kind, and this is just more evidence. We talk about is... Mel's tricks and parlorness and all this stuff, but this is real, right? Mm-hmm. Or is this just... It's funny that you're arguing on the side of religion,
1: and I'm countering. Or is this just magic, non-religious, that these mm. guys are practicing, and... They themselves they label are it. interpreting as as validation of their faith or something like that, or attributing it to
0: a god. It's really fascinating. Maybe, but what's the difference? It's a chicken and egg thing, right?
1: It really is. I
0: yeah. mean, if if you believe that's where you're getting your power from, and you couldn't do it without that belief, then aren't you really, aren't you really getting it from your faith? I, it, it's, it's you know what I mean. It's a little bit of a chicken or egg thing.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: But. Yeah, I, I get what you mean, though. Like maybe they're—they all think they're sacrificing to this god when really they've just stumbled upon some magic. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But I, it feels like it feels like a coincidence. I mean, we've seen it with Thoros, we've seen it with Mel, we've seen it with Makoro. Mm-hmm. It's a pattern.
1: Yeah, it, I mean the—the—the the, the faith of Relor has certainly, as an organization, has certainly stumbled upon. Something, they're figured out over the generations.
0: Yeah. So some uh, interesting things. The last thing I want to say with this on this kind of general theme here is, and obviously jump in wherever you want to. But, uh, well, what do we remember about Mary Ma's door? Hmm. Yes. What I mean was she I, I before we well. knew about Rolore, was she an agent of Rolore? we don't know that we don't know it mm-hmm. that's why i asked what we remember about her does it fit because it's because the wailing it's the wailing it's that one word it's... is all that does it for me yeah the... the being in the
1: tent and all of that stuff it just felt the very, same very much the same i agree the... yeah um but unfortunately we just didn't learn enough about her
0: right well, we knew she she got taught her magics in Ashai, right? And so did Melisandre. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <sighs> it,
1: when she was taken, she was uh she was working in the the temples of the Lazarene. So they had their their own religion, the Great Shepherd, or, or I believe it's called.
0: But she had been trained in but the Ashai, right? She,
1: yeah. So she'd been Asshai. to Ashai. She'd learned the you know shadow binding and stuff like that.
0: Right.
1: I would um, even learn some things from Maester Marwyn. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, but it's.
0: I guess I, so. I just saw some parallels. So it's it, it, totally so he totally. says, it, if not Seri so who? right with with the blade and the poisoning and how it's being mistreated, mm-hmm. um, the administration. Yeah. yeah.
1: Reminds us of Drogo.
0: Drogo, exactly. That that somebody is got the you know she, she mistreated the wound or. Maybe he didn't follow her directions. Maybe it's a little of both. So like it's somebody on the inside. Mm -hmm. Then we get this high wailing song of Makoro like fixing it. Right? Yep. Which reminds us of Miri, but Miri didn't fix Drogo. I don't know.
1: More on that later. Okay, more on that later. (laughs) But it's very unnerving. Yeah. Also interesting... And that it's the only time that I can think of, and maybe I just wasn't paying attention, where we're we're reading a POV, but Gurm steps out of that POV. Yes. Um, I looked up the title and they call it Omniscient Narrator. Uh-huh. They have an omniscient narrator takeover. Wasn't yeah. that fascinating? Yeah. I noticed it too. I was like, this is weird. It reads differently. A whole paragraph where Victorian goes in is stays in his cabin with Makoro. Yep. and we're in the Victorian chapter. Yet our POV leaves the cabin, and we experience what's happening with all of the people outside right. of the cabin. It's very right. really fascinating, and I wonder if there's a reason why George did that, other than to just kind of leave us, you know, in a bit of suspense.
0: Right, it isn't Danny heard wailing inside the tent. It was, and these characters heard wailing inside that it's... Wolf One Ear and Longwater right.
1: Pike and anyone outside of the cabin.
0: Right. Yeah. It I have So did you look like if we'd gotten that before? It felt weird immediately. I was like, whoa, this is different.
1: Yeah, not that I could find.
0: And, and Kalasar, if you know of any
1: other instances where George takes us out of the POV, let us know. It
0: means, I feel like it means something. Mm-hmm. I don't know what. That's not what we do here, at Kalisar. We don't answer the tough questions. We just ask them. <laughs> and then we make fart jokes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or we, something. We giggle after saying the word taint.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. okay. We spent a lot of time on that. You got other stuff for this chapter? Um, nope. Let's I see. I don't believe I do. Uh, got... Uh, Jamie and Ilan parallel with Vic and the Dusky Woman, the no-tongue treatment thing. Being able to just chat. Yeah. Chatty Kathy. Yeah. And what does it mean?
1: And there's always that worry, yeah, that they're um, not as silent as they seem.
0: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's pretty much all I got.
1: A lot of brooding in this episode, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh, John Connington, Perriston Selmy, Victorian Greyjoy. Good yeah. night.
0: So here's the uh hand of fire from the episode title. Yes. <clears throat> Smoking, crackling. Yeah. Uh I think we're ready to move on unless you got anything else.
1: Nope. Go to Tyrion. Let's do it. Oh, back to old Tyrion. Cripples and bastards and broken things, but the power of the
3: mind can give you wings. Drinking and japing and yeah, ladies, Tyrion
1: Lannister, rorimp if you please. So, guys, Tyrion's enormous master, Yezen, has contracted the pale mare. He's only mostly dead is about as far as the comparisons between (laughs) Yezin's Okegas and Wesley, my love, go. Uh, The healer, well aware of the symptoms and pervasiveness of the Pale Mare, the Bloody Flux, decides there's nothing more he can do and hightails it out of there, leaving Tyrion, Penny, and Yezin's other treasures to care for their dying master as best they can. Uh, I I will gloss over the details of the bowel movements and such. Tyrion... Doubts his master lasts another day. Um, feeling somewhat sorry for the master, who he's found to be fairly decent to his chattels, but also more importantly, sensing an opportunity, Tyrion, along with Penny, offers to go get fresh water for their master. As they do, I uh, will throw this in here Tyrion reflects on Nurse, who's kind of the overseer of all the slaves, if you'll remember who had contracted the pale mare himself and who Tyrion had attended to in his final moments, even serving him a helping of dog-tail soup with slivers of mushrooms in the broth to ease his passing.
0: Mmm, nutritious.
1: Hmm, Mmm, dog-tail and mushrooms. Tyrion and Penny pick up the beaten shell of the man known as Jorah Mormont under the pretense of needing help carrying all the water. And away they go through the mare-infested Yunkish camp, uh, their tinkling golden bells offering protection from those who know better than to mess with the property of Yezin's Okegaz, at least while Yezin still lives. Arriving at one of the few wells around Mirene and finding the waiting line over a mile long, Tyrion, Penny, and Jorah wait. And as with the office water cooler, the well is the place to hear all the new gossip, which yet focuses on the events of Daznac's pit. Some say that in those events, the queen hopped on the murderous dragon's back and flew away, never to be seen again. Others say that she did indeed hop on the dragon's back, but fell off uh, and died in a gutter. Tyrion interjects that if so, no body was found. He was there. He would know. He then reflects on the events of that day, of seeing Daenerys from a distance, of recognizing Barristan Selmy at her side, and wondering how he would receive Tyrion. Uh, Spoiler alert, Tyrion does not think that would go well. Uh, He reflects on how they hadn't seen the dragon attack as Nurse had chained them up and kept them below to prevent an escape. And most notably, Tyrion reflects on how he'd ascertained after their joust in Daznak's pit that they were actually not supposed to survive that joust. He remembers Nurse's confused ex- expression upon seeing them re enter the uh, kind of dressing room of Desnack's pit, and the pitmaster complaining about his lions missing out on a meal. Yeah, Tyrion's not a dummy. He sussed it right out. Anyways, by midday, Tyrion, Penny, and Jorah finally reach the well, and as they are returning f- with pails full of water, Tyrion makes a sudden change in direction away from Yezin's camp. Deflecting Penny's protestations and asking Jorah if he has any fight left in him, Jorah replies that he's got enough to crack Tyrion's neck, uh, Tyrion carries on, and Jorah, it's Jorah that recognizes that they are making their way to the tents of the Second Son's Sword company. Jorah cautions against, trusting Brown Ben Plum to help them, but Tyrion, after going a few rounds of Sevas with him a chapter or two back, observes that Plum prefers to react to opportunities and to keep his options open. So they arrive at camp and are recognized by one of Plum's sergeants as the two dwarves that Brown Ben had attempted to buy at the slave auction, and thus they are brought before the sellsword commander. Tyrion knows that Ben recognizes him for who he actually is, and Tyrion reminds him that House Plum is sworn to casterly rock in Westeros. He suggests that harboring Tyrion, even with Tyrion being another master's property, would be a risk worth taking for Plum and the Second Sons. He, of course, deflects Plum's suggestion that they simply return Tyrion to Cersei, dead or alive, and take the reward. Uh, Tyrion, of course, offers greater bounties to keep him alive and out of harm's way. Ask Shaga, he suggests, or Bronn or Timot, men who prospered greatly in Tyrion's service. Uh, and with this, he knows he's sufficiently caught Brown Ben Plum's attention and Tyrion settles in for negotiations. And that is the end of that little ditty of a chapter about Tyrion Lannister.
0: Yeah, not not maybe like the most exciting chapter. A little few pieces of intrigue in there, though. Yeah, it moved Tyrion along. Right.
1: Uh, it got him out of Yezin's. Out from under Yezin's thumb and onto a new adventure. Yeah, um, it's fun to see what I what I like about getting further along in these books is is all these characters who've been separated for so long, all of a sudden entering into each other's atmosphere. Right? Huh. You've got Brown Ben Plum, who is, of course, we know from Danny chapters, and is now here with Tyrion. And how's that going to work out? Uh, I don't know, I just find that, even, even Tyrion seeing Barristan Selmy from a distance, I, that's just fascinating to me, right? Mm-hmm. To see these different characters who we've come to know and realize, oh, how is this going to work out now that they're together?
0: Yeah, and 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 what would have happened had Tyrion yelled out, uh, as he says he thought of doing, during his little jousting match?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? Yeah. What would have happened? Who hey, knows? it's
1: me, Tyrion Lannister! Yeah,
0: right? Yeah yeah Hmm. interesting things to think about <clears throat> so uh your little uh mention of the mushrooms yeah yeah yeah
1: so where are you gonna get some mushrooms in uh the desolate wasteland outside marines gad didn't you know you can just grow mushrooms in your boot mat Oh, yeah. Yep, you just don't change your socks for a really long time and keep yeah. them good and wet in there, all sorts of good stuff will sprout up.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's interesting. I, You know, I'm I'm sure he didn't use all of them, um, but those yep. he'd kind of been holding on to those as a, as a means of suicide. If we remember, he got them clear back with Illyrio. Correct. Right? Yep, he got them from Illyrio, thought about taking them then. And kind of, I think held on to them as an admission of like, I'm not in a good place. I might need these.
1: Yeah, almost as like a cyanide thing for eyes, right. right?
0: Right. And you know, like if if my lot gets bad enough, I'll just I'll just do this. I'm willing mm-hmm. to take that road. So interesting that he uses them here and no longer has that road available to him, uh, unless and he didn't use unless all he of didn't them. Use maybe all of them. We don't. Yeah, yeah. we don't know. Right. Um, I don't want to paint it as a good thing. Uh, You know, we've been thematically talking about Tyrion's journey over the last, you know, in this book of what a monster he had become. Kind of trying to come out of it when he was on the Shy Maid. Descending back into it with Mm -hmm. the horror. Coming back out maybe a little bit with Penny. Going back Mm -hmm. in and out and in and out and in and out. Um, You know, I was... uh, was, I was at the con uh and and uh Lady Gwen from Radio Westeros they somebody asked her at, at their panel they just, she just had like, a little talk back panel mm-hmm. and uh little i mean the room was full you know the 80 people oh, or I can something. only imagine <laughs> yeah but uh but uh they asked like i think the question was like what what do you wish you know what, what would you most like to do next like what what content and Tyrion was was near the top of her list, and she said, "You know, we want we want to do him, but it's not his journey is so. I don't I'm paraphrasing; these are not her exact words, um, but the journey was so up and down, kind of like what we've talked about. But oh, like man. you'd I have imagine. to you'd have to just do it again. They'd have to just do another. If they recorded now an episode about Tyrion, they just have to do it again when the next book came out, because you don't know where he's going. It's it's not a trajectory that can be mapped, and." Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was I, that I'm, I'm not doing a, a good job with her, with what she actually said, but that's kind of the flavor of it. And it just, and, it, it painted, it painted exactly the way I feel about Tyrion. It's just like, what's, where's he going to land? Cause this thing, it's on the edge of a knife, man. It could go either way. And, um, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, and this point, you know, he's murdering somebody here, right? Which is not good. Um, You know, and then later in the chapter he says, uh, you know, maybe he should have let Jorah get bought by somebody else. It might have been a kinder fate than this, Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, expressing some real humanity. Uh, So it's just these little blips on his journey, just kind of fighting for his soul, right? Yeah. Little data points of, you know, where's he going to land? We don't know. It's Mm -hmm. interesting. It's fascinating.
1: Yeah, and, and people have said like you guys are giving Tyrion way too much credit. I don't feel like we are. They're blips. Yeah, and I think that's fascinating that we're even having these conversations. And they're a testament to how well written of a character he is. Um,
0: I I man. feel like we have. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we maybe we go easy on him. He is a he is a favorite of mine. Not because he's good, but just because he's fascinating. Yeah, um, it's the but, way I am with Jamie. Right, right, right similar, and. I, I I think we've been very hard on him with the choices he's made. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know, I feel like we have. But, um, but, but they're not... A, a man's journey is not done until it's done. And Tyrion so has true. shown these blips in both directions. And that's what makes it fascinating.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the mushrooms were fascinating to me on a number of levels. On one, you mentioned, you know, he's kind of keeping them as a boot in his boot as a constant reminder that he can end things for himself if he needs to. And that he's in that frame of mind is, is, is sad. Um, but at the same time, maybe we can see where he's coming from a little bit. So this thematically him using those mushrooms is almost a way of him saying I'm over that. I choose life.
0: Right. Right? That's what I was trying to say earlier. I just didn't do a good job.
1: No, you did. It's encouraging to see something like that. Then on the other hand, it's like, this is bad of me to say and dark of me to say, but dude, Nurse already had the pale mare. He was going to die. Why are you going to waste your mushrooms on that guy? (laughs) You could have used it. You don't want to keep those for something like when it matters? Like, like, use it on a real bad guy. This guy's on his way out anyways.
0: Maybe he, and again, maybe he didn't use it all, but maybe he felt like I have to be the one taking care of this guy. I don't want to get it. I'm just going to kill him, so I don't have to. So it 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 lowers my chances of catching it myself. It
1: does do that. Yeah, that's a good point. And it also gives him the opportunity to remove Nurse, and thereby, hopefully hasten his own escape. Right. Yeah, because right. if move the timeline yeah. up a day, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah, you know, Yezin dying is one thing, but if Nurse had somehow pulled through. And Tyrion admits that no one pulls through. But, yeah. uh, you know, he's still in trouble if Nurse is still around. Yeah. Uh, and then he, he utters that fascinating line when he gives him the mushrooms and and he says a Lannister always pays his debts. What did you take from that? Did you take anything? What debt is he paying? To Nurse? Yeah. The fact that Nurse expected him to die?
0: Uh, oh yeah, I was confused the way they by that. Treated him? Yeah, I, yeah. I guess I just thought of the way he had treated him, but we don't get much mm-hmm. about that. I mean, but the other the others say he's the only uh, he's the only uh, I forget the language bad guy there, right? So yeah, like, not like him. You can you can draw some conclusions that he mistreats everyone, but mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, it, it did it did read a little bit like this was a line that made sense, and then George made an edit that pulled out the thing that made it make sense. or something because yeah you don't you don't see much interaction right
1: yeah yeah
0: i I mean you you could argue that he does one good thing for him by buying jorah like he like he suggested right which terry manipulated him to do but still he did it Mm -hmm. right but you know maybe he was he was
1: supposed to die and nurse expected him to die and he didn't die so there's like a debt that needed to be paid there and he's being kind of sarcastic about it
0: yeah, I guess uh, maybe he thinks Nurse should have told him what was coming. Maybe uh-huh. he feels betrayed, but I don't know. I, yeah. It seems a little, little silly.
1: Yeah, yeah. and in the end, though, he kind of, you know, with that, he kind of does him a solid by, by offing him quickly rather than letting the pale mare run its course.
0: <laughs> run through Literally. his yeah, yeah. run. <laughs> Gross.
1: Oh, if anyone is not actually reading the chapters along with us, I urge you to go back and read Tyrion Eleven and the descriptions of Shit. Yeah, of Yezin and what he's enduring as the pale mare makes its way
0: through him. What he's enduring and what he's producing. <sighs> oh boy. Yeah. Boy does he produce. Yeah. Um more more little sprinkles of evidence. You know, it seems like these These slaves are ready. There are conversations about the Silver Queen, and Mm -hmm. just kind of little mutterings here and there. Feels like they're ready for ready for any chance to uh, change their condition.
1: Yeah, you know, from Selmy's brooding within Marine, you get the idea that things aren't exactly great, and they're worried about the Yunkish camp. But then you go out to the Yunkish camp in Tyrion, and things aren't going great there either. Yeah. There's it's interesting to get both sides of it. Really yeah. fascinating. But uh man, killer line. Uh, we've talked a couple about George's well-written lines here. The most insidious thing about bondage was how easy it was to grow accustomed to yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, yep. When you think about the that came up with the uh, they're in line with the guy at the well who had talked about how being a slave was great. Yeah, and he did not want even freedom. If, even if freedom was offered to him, he wouldn't take it, right? Yeah. Because <clears throat> he was treated well by his master and, and everything. And you get stories of that even in the United States history, right? Of yeah. slaves who were treated well by their masters. Well, but even then, go ahead.
0: Wait, yeah, there. Uh, you probably didn't, uh, maybe you did. Do you see Django Unchained? Yes. The mm-hmm. the Samuel, Samuel Jackson Samuel. character yep. is yep. very dedicated to his complete racist asshole owner because uh-huh. he's so worked himself into his favor, right? That he's, yeah.
1: It's almost not like slavery. Right. But that doesn't make it right,
0: right? Well, it still very much is slavery. It almost isn't yeah. like slavery to him. That's the way he feels. But it still very much is. Uh-huh. But... Uh, yeah, yeah I mean, I, he I turns on them. this
1: quote that says, "You know, an institution doesn't have to be all blood and pain and suffering all the time to be an abomination."
0: True. And Absolutely.
1: I thought that was fascinating. Yeah,
0: but it, but in but in very pragmatic terms, Tyrion likens this to like it's not that different than just being, you know, a servant to a lord. In some for for some of them, yeah. right? Some of them mm-hmm. were treated. They can't walk away at any point, which I guess is the difference, but a lot of servants couldn't either. A lot of servants can't, yeah. And so it, you know, he says it's just pragmatically, it's just not that different. And for some, right? Some of the, you know, you've also got the clankers out there. Very different. Right? So it's just the scale I suppose. The scale yeah. of slavery which is also all lumped into just awful, like you said.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh... Oh, a blip on the uh, Tyrion humanity that I did want to bring up is is his treatment of Penny, right? And we've yep. talked a little bit about this. Yep. You know, ins- there are times where he said he just wanted to like hit her instead of giving her a good hard crack across that ugly face of hers <laughs> to knock the blinders from her eyes. He would instead find himself squeezing her shoulder or giving her a hug. He says every touch a lie. I have paid her so much false coin that she half thinks she's rich. He's talking about her enduring kind of optimism,
0: right? Yeah. And that's a that's a that's a fascinating line because uh rich with what? Rich rich with friendship, right? She mm-hmm. feels she feels like she's found someone she can trust and that likes her. And does he? It's uh, maybe kind of some That's
1: the thing that I'm getting though is Yeah, he's not, like, fully invested in their friendship and stuff like that. But she's changing him a bit, don't you think? Yeah, a little bit. Like, more than he can even admit. And, uh... Maybe. It's all part of these blips. It is, yeah. I think I've brought this song up on the cast before. It's a song called What I Think She Sees. But it's a song about this guy who he, you know, his, his, his partner just she he thinks that she sees so much in him that he doesn't deserve that she sees way more than he sees in himself uh, but in the end her seeing that makes him want to be that you know the the line is it ain't me at all to feel so ready to be what i think she sees it ain't me
3: at all to feel so
1: I think to a degree that's where Tyrion is too, that this optimism and this faith that she's showing in him is having some sort of humanizing effect on a guy who previously was, you know, had been through some ups and downs and will still go through them, frankly. It's not a 180 degree turn, but he thinks that he's helping her when in a sense, I think she's doing a bit for him as well, whether she knows it or not. I don't think she does.
0: Yeah. I mean, to put it dumbly, relationships are fascinating. You never <laughs> Boy, know. Are they? You never you know. Said it. You what? Said it. <laughs> right? Like you never know what impact somebody's going to have on you when you meet them. Um, yeah, you just never. Yeah. Oh, They're we fascinating. Could spend a
1: long time talking about stuff like that. Yeah,
0: yeah. We don't have the time tonight. Mm-hmm. That's that's where the podcast is going to go next, guys. We decided Matt and I are just going to sit around and talk about our relationships.
1: That might actually be fun.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. They would leave in droves.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> oh, it'd be hmm. fun though. Uh, so a, a couple things. Um, we get some dragon lore in this chapter. Hmm. Uh, one of the best ones is uh, George trolling the community. With his uh, comment about dragons with four legs and how silly that would be, mm-hmm. uh, because George's dragons don't have four legs; they have two and wings. Duh, duh, of course. Uh, and he people give flack about that, so that's pretty hilarious trolling from him. Uh, and then about slaying dragons, because it's interesting. You, you get in that last chapter with Drogon, and he gets stabbed in the neck with a spear, and his blood like boils. You get yeah, it physically you kind of, affects him. You get the sense that they're pretty vulnerable, mm-hmm. but then you, we get in the last two chapters. We've had two accounts: one from uh, from uh, Barristan. We, we didn't t- we didn't talk about it actually um, in our coverage here, but uh, an account from Barrison and an account from Tyrion. That like no like shooting them from the ground. It's you're try harder. Yeah, yeah you're not gonna have much luck, right? Yeah, and. But but to me, he seemed pretty vulnerable, and we know they're young, so like maybe they're, I don't know. It was interesting to read because the account we got was vulnerable. The telling we're getting is pretty safe, right? Yeah,
1: absolutely. It's weird because um, you did get the feeling that the spear was hurting the dragon. Yeah, and maybe that's coming from. Danny's POV right where if you know you see your kid in any way fall down and skin their knee you instantly think oh my gosh what's happened to my child
0: (gasps) yeah you know but there but there were there was blood I mean there was you know there was blood and there was smoke and it was there were visual indicators that she might have been embellishing but something happened
1: yep it was it was a wound
0: yeah right but
1: nope you gotta be you gotta bard that thing. Yeah, that's a that's a Hobbit reference.
0: Yeah, but through the eye, not through a missing scale, right? Not through the yeah, you,
1: no missing scales, <laughs> no missing scales. Yeah, you eyeball that sucker.
0: The I so I didn't see the last two Hobbit movies, but I love the way they did that in the old Bakshi cartoon uh-huh. of the Hobbit, Or the the, one from like it, like the bird the, 70s. the bird is yeah the bird is telling him right and. You can like they do like the animation trick where it's, like you can see his eyes like zoom in on the spot or whatever. Uh-huh. It's uh, good stuff.
1: I'll have to go back and watch that. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure it's on
0: YouTube somewhere. It's been a while. Tell, tell uh-huh. me if I've misremembered it because that's how it's in my head now. Mm-hmm. Uh. So, but he he does count through the eyes is is through the eyes to the brain is really all the only shot you got is what he says. Mm-hmm. But anyway, all right. Anything else? I don't think so. Alright, let's move on to John. Let's do it. Johnny Boy. Where
3: we're going up north where the winter's cold and the icicles bloom like the bluest rose. We haven't met his mom, but we love
0: his wolf, he's giant snow. John dreams of a great battle from atop the wall. Wildlings are coming for him and he stands atop the wall all alone, abandoned by his brothers. The wildlings come at him, then Black Brothers come at him, his friends, and even Rob. He cuts them all down with his sword in fire, his armor coated in ice. He's awakened by that damn raven poking his chest, just poking all the time. Doesn't hurt you poking the chest like that. Anyway, he gathers his men together and reviews the plan for the day. Simply let the wildlings through the wall don't die. To paraphrase Lord of the Rings, this piece stands on the edge of a knife. Stray but a little. And it will fall to the ruin of all. Not just the ruin of the Night's Watch in John's mind, but all. Like as in the world of men. Anyway, moving on. John takes a company of eight men with him underneath the ice to meet Tormund and his wildlings, numbering in the thousands beyond the Wall. John's men are well armed, well armored, and trusty men. He rides a flashy horse. He brings Ghost with him for intimidation. As peaceful as this all needs to be, and the point he just made to his men, he still wants the free folk to hold the watch in some awe. It's a show, everybody. This is the greatest show for John. He's got to maintain this aura to these people. The hundred pieces of insurance come first, as we mentioned in the previous chapter, sons of prominent members. Uh sons of all kinds, streaming forward and under the wall, including Tormund's son, who John says he will take on as his own squire. Next come around a thousand seasoned warriors, including some spearwives, all armed, one in ten mounted, every one worth six crows, according to Tormund. They give all their valuables, and I use that term valuables very loosely, to Bowen's stewards, ready to be sorted and counted and sent off to the free cities for coin. The wildlings pour through the gate, and Tormund laments that this could all go much quicker if he just blew that damn horn of winter that they never found. Never found? John insists that Mance had the horn and Mel burned it. Tormund can only laugh, insisting that Manset had only wanted John to believe that. In reality, they had never found the Horn of Winter. Translation, remember that thing you didn't think you had to worry about, John? Add it back to your list. Speaking of worries, John can't even wait to finish this task before he is trying to wheedle information of Tormund about the wildlings. I'm just going to read a little bit of it. The wildling rubbed his mouth. Not here he mumbled. Not this side of your wall. The old man glanced uneasily toward the trees in their white mantles. They're never far, you know. They won't come out by day. Not when that old sun's shining. But don't think that means they went away. Shadows never go away. Might be you don't see em, but they're always clinging to your heels. Tormund goes on to indicate that the others never attacked with full force, but they lost outriders all the time. Those that fell behind were consumed. The cold would eat their fires by night, and in the morning they would find men dead. Seemingly just dead by the cold, by white mists. How can you fight the cold? Can your sword cut cold? Tormund asks. And Jon remembers Sam's findings about dragon steel. And he really wonders if maybe his sword can cut the cold. On the wildlings come and on comes the evening. Tensions rise as the daylight starts to dwindle. The free folk eager to get beyond the, beyond the wall, afraid to be out here at night. But they make it. Tormund's rearguard burns the impromptu village they left behind, including the bodies of those that won't wake up. And this rearguard includes Borok and his boar. A giant thing, bigger than ghosts, with tusks like swords. Suffice to say, the boar and ghosts don't see eye to eye on run-of-the-mill issues. They need to be restrained from, like, murdering each other. Straight on animal murder. Borok himself seems okay to me, calls John brother and heads underneath the wall, assuring John that he should seal up the gate. They are coming. Bowen has the count. 3,119 wildlings, around 3,000 of which will stay at Castle Black, though. John will be apportioning them out to different castles over time. John retires to his quarters at Donald's Old Forge, seeing grown wildlings at play. Men who have rarely even considered play due to the danger of their day-to-day lives are here now, throwing snowballs at one another mere hours after having the safety of the wall at their backs. We don't really get any emotion from John here outside of astonishment, but I'll bet it felt pretty good inside for him to see that. There's a letter waiting for him. It's not good. The mission to Hardholm is foundering. Five of the ships are gone or sunk. The wildlings don't trust the Black Brothers. There are dead things in the wood. Dead things in the water. The wildlings eat their own dead and won't go with them. Pike needs help. To John, this signals the beginning of his war. And that's the end of the chapter. Oh, boy. Yeah, a lot of... This chapter's kind of uh, a lot of counting. Just uh, a lot of descriptions of people that went underneath the wall that kind of just could leave behind. But, uh... No, Kallisar... (laughs) Lots of different types of wildlands went under that wall. That's like a summary for half the chapter.
2: Yeah,
1: it's fascinating to different names, different people. I yeah. imagine the first time I read that chapter, I don't remember, but I was probably bored out of my mind. Yeah. This upon guy, that guy, it, it's super fascinating. Yeah. You know, you hear this about this woods witch named Morna who has a weirwood mask, mm-hmm. and then you got this. Jarek or Garrett Kingsblood guy who can apparently trace his lineage back to Raymond Redbeard
0: it's just cool world building it is it is uh, Tormund describes the others as shadows with teeth and it reminded me of this Cold, said Renly in a small puzzled voice. A heartbeat before the steel of his gorget gorget, parted like cheesecloth beneath the shadow of a blade that was not there. He had time to make a small thick gasp before the blood came gushing out of his throat. Mm. The shadow of a blade. Shadows with teeth. Same words? It's one word, right? Shadow. Blade. Teeth. But it but it, it just it's just more of more of the same. Maybe we're belaboring this a little bit too much, but you know, the parallels between these, you know, that was sorry, just to cover it off. That was Mel's <laughs> shadow baby murdering Renley. Mm-hmm. Um, you know and, and and the parallels between these lower creations and these great other creations question mark, uh, the others themselves. It's. It feels deliberate. I mean, I think George is doing it Ooh. on purpose. So you're saying there's a connection? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm, this isn't any revelation, yeah. is it?
1: No. I don't know that we've gone that deep to connect, though. The others with shadow binding. No. I don't know that we have.
0: That's not Dolmas after so dark territory, though,
1: is it? No, I'm not saying it is.
0: I mean, it's fascinating, though. It feels it feels like, you know, we we talked. I feel like we've talked about it a lot. Maybe it was always *Alice well, After Dark*, but just about the parallels between
1: the different types of magic out there, and stuff. right. And, yeah.
0: Well, and specifically the great other and lore, and the instruments they use, and what they have at their disposal, and how their magic might come to bear in the real world, and.
1: Now, one one little point to notice, I don't or note, I don't know if it matters or not, is that shadow binding is not particular only to Relore. That is something separate that Melisandre Mel learned. learned how to do. Um, but like mm-hmm. we mentioned, Mary Mazdoor unless she somehow has some relore connection but right. shadow binding is is different it's it's it seems to originate in a shy or at least that's where the knowledge of it lies right but it, there's not a clear-cut connecting
0: okay so I'm connection
1: reaching to relore no um it still makes the point that there's connections amongst these different types of magic
0: yeah
1: right perhaps and that kind of makes my head spin a bit <laughs> just because you know you want much like Selmy, me you want there to be the the people who have been conditioned to watch good guy bad guy shows and stuff we want very laid out this is the stuff the good guys do this is the stuff the bad guys do and
0: it's separate
1: you know and this is not that way <laughs>
2: yeah
0: yeah it's it's uh very ill-defined, very raw.
1: Mhm. Yeah. And you know it's something super important and it's just dangling in front of you. Don't you hate it when it just dangles in front of you?
0: Yeah, like the and knife in Macbeth. Like
1: the knife in Macbeth. That's exactly what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah, you can't you can't map wrap your head around it though.
0: Yeah absolutely it's it's just out of reach always mm-hmm. uh ed Speaking. seems legitimately sadder now that he's gone oh and don't we profit by it yes <laughs> we do
1: what sort of weather would you prefer the sort they keep indoors <laughs> yes
0: yes oh uh, now it is overrun with spearwives there's days i want the rats back <laughs> Good old Ed. Dolorous Ed. Yeah, he was in fine form this
1: chapter. Uh, of course, we remember he's second in command um, with under Iron Emmet, and they are the only two males uh, presiding over a bunch of spear wives. And
0: yeah. Although, all sorts
1: of fun going on there.
0: I don't know whether this is like a, an ominous or foreboding thing, but Ed makes it pretty clear that he isn't second in command like some other I can't remember the spearwife's name, but there's some other Spearwife that is you know doing most doing most of the commanding other than other than uh you just said his name. What was it?
1: Iron Emmett. Emmett, yeah. Yeah, he <laughs> what does he say that uh
0: I'll he's like, is,
1: is, is is Iron Emmett on top of things at Greyguard? <laughs> And he's like, no, mostly he's on top of Black Maris. That's the <laughs> lady's name, the spirit wife's name.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh here was an interesting thing that I might just be clutching and um You'll dance with me anon. You mm-hmm. danced with me anon. Do you remember do you remember who said you danced with me anon?
1: Is it Alice Karstark?
0: It was. Yeah. A few chapters ago, or maybe it was even the last one. Uh-huh. The snowflakes talk to John. As if saying, you'll dance with me, Anon. Mm-hmm. I searched for ice and fired. Dance and Anon. Okay. These are the only two instances where those things come together. Maybe it means nothing. I don't know what it would mean if it means something. But it just the line. I remembered that phrase from Alice and right, so it was such a strange anon. Right.
2: Yeah.
0: I don't know. I um I also don't know what it means that the snow is saying it to him, he will dance with me anon. Mm-hmm. Dance with the dance with the snow, dance with the ice Dance with the others. I don't know. Right. Lots we of dancing to... for John. He doesn't ah. seem the dancing sort. This dream
1: of John's is probably just all Davos after dark material, right?
0: Sure. Yeah, probably. I don't think I marked it to talk about, but if you if you like if you oh, like you to, did. we can we can just dive right into it. Do you have? I thought you did. Oh, maybe I did. Did I?
1: Uh. So... All the stuff about being armored in black ice. With oh, yeah, light. I did. Yeah, 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 that part. Yes. yes, that part. Yeah, so, yeah. okay, that'll bleed into it then. Right. We're good. Um, okay, so uh, some some fun stuff going on beyond the wall. John says that one of the items turned in at the wall, one of the treasures. Did you catch it? An ivory phallus. <laughs>
0: You know, I will admit. Uh, Did you miss that one? I'm I, I missed it. I I the only the only item I remember was the mammoth made of hair. The toy made of yes. actual mammoth hair. Yeah. Yes. Oh uh, no, there's more toys that were thrown
1: in there, <laughs> including an ivory phallus. So,
0: I I admit that I, when it comes to like lists of things being given or whatever it's do you start, pretty, start to skim i skim
1: i i sometimes have a propensity to do that too until i see anything starting with foul
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, and suddenly with my this? attention is grabbed <laughs>
0: <laughs> suddenly you are
1: erect <laughs> So an ivory phallus. I'm sure that'll be a Chekhov's gun or a Chekhov's dildo <laughs> right
0: on <the laughs> a Chekhov's <laughs> instrument. Uh. I I had a thought.
1: Probably uh, moving on. Um, probably probably nothing. But I'll bring it up to you because you humor my little thoughts sometimes. Uh, actually, you do all the time. Thank a you.
0: lot. Yeah.
1: Yeah so someone this one of the treasures was a broken sword with three sapphires in the hilt mm. and uh i only remember this because i went back and read game of thrones prologue as i was trying to get a handle on the others um and waymar royce's sword is described as as a blade with that had jewels that glittered in its hilt mm. I thought, how cool and it was broken by the others when remember they sliced through it with yep. their other blade yep how cool would it. that be? I mean, I don't think it means anything if it did. I don't think it's, it has any sort of significance. But how cool would that be if George just like threw that in there, that someone found Waymar Royce's
0: sword? Yeah, That would be cool. I don't know. little throwback. That's it. Uh, Dead things in the water? Scary. Dead things in the water. Matt, imagine you're writing a letter to somebody trying to get them I, now i realize we're reading books here and that george has to keep it interesting and keep it intriguing but imagine you're writing a letter to someone and you really want them to come help you why are we being vague like this
3: dead things mikey dead things
0: dead things in the water like skeletons or like so like fish, fish? Yeah, like, like do you what see like dead fish float up?
1: Help me out, Pike.
0: More? Yeah. Or
1: do you have like something whited right. in the water?
0: Yeah, I my my brain immediately went to Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes, of
1: dead of whites walking on the
0: seafloor. Right. And yeah, Patchface yeah. says things like the dead on the floor of the seafloor, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, it just feels like, and Pike is a man of few words, Mm -hmm. but you know, maybe the maester should have elaborated a little bit. (laughs) You know, like,
1: give John some information. The maester's like, no, you mentioned this dead thing thing, and I I wrote that down, (laughs) but I
3: wonder if maybe we should.
0: Uh, Yeah. And Pike's like,
1: nope, just send it.
0: Just take some poetic license here, man.
1: Mm Mm-hmm people are dying that's what Carter pike said yes and there it went but that's just a weird mission man because cotter pike doesn't want to do it it's it seems hopeless
0: he, he, here's know. here's my problem how long has he been there I don't know. Carter pike yeah i mean a little while a few weeks maybe a few days no idea don't we don't know but we know how long it took to do the Great Ranging Beyond the Wall. And we know that Hardholm is fuck all away from Castle Black. It's far. Clear up there. It's far. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not close. Mm-hmm. I'm looking now at the, the map. I mean, it's... It's up there. It is roughly... Maybe one and a half... Well, it's maybe about the same distance as the Fist of the First Men. A little bit mm. further from the, from, from uh, where they are at the wall. Maybe mm-hmm. a little bit further. From Eastwatch or from Castle Black? From Castle Black. Oh. Mm-hmm. And... Like... It's going to take them forever, Matt, to get there. <laughs> what is... What is Pike expecting. Right?
3: Yep.
1: It's going to take him forever. I think he feels that same way. Uh, I, yeah, because they don't have other ships.
0: Uh, I don't know. I mean... Maybe he doesn't want to get executed, like... John of Slint style, but I'm taking my boats yeah. and leaving. Like, you got
1: me into this mess, John. Get me out
0: of it now. <laughs> but he can't... But. But it's like asking for by the you know, time a John mouse to do your calculus homework. Yeah. It's not going to happen. It's far. He's far away. He can't get there in time to help you. By there the are time... dead things in the water and dead things in the woods. You're going to wait for help from John. He's months probably away from reaching you. By the time they got there, by the time
1: the letter got to John, they
0: could be dead. Like, right. Yeah, I've, I, it's I something that has that. always bothered me with this, mm-hmm. with you know. Anyway. Well, maybe it, it demonstrates
1: just how desperate things are, right? Yeah. That he's sending a letter hopelessly to John. Yeah. Do you think it's worth it?
0: What, sending the letter? That
1: John that John tried to help the people at Hard Home?
0: we talked about this a little bit last episode i mean what john thinks is thousands of whites that's that's what he thinks he knows he killed two of them right he knows how hard it was he thinks thousands of them we got to get as many as we can on the other side of the wall just like he's doing with torment's people right so what he's what he's doing is not misguided but there's times when i guess when you cut your losses i mean I don't know how many i can't remember how many she chances has. Yeah, I, I can't remember how many people she has but like at some point it's not worth it's risking thousands. yeah it's not worth risking you know your whole fleet and you know a third or maybe it's a quarter of your forces to go save the i don't know it feels it feels wrong i guess i don't know i get why he did it it feels wrong though
1: yeah and that's that's why Jon Snow is so freaking interesting to me.
0: It really is. No child left behind. No wildly yeah. left behind. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, but you know, Emmett, Emmett, poor Quentin. Uh, put it up. Put it this way. In, in a little thing I was reading on his, on his website, um, he talks about how when people say that Jon Snow is too tropey he mentions that part of that is realizing that instead of George taking Jon Snow and giving him one trope he gives him several tropes of the hero, the hero trope, several qualities of the hero trope and then he makes those qualities fight each other. He puts them in conflict with mm. each other and so when you say John when people say Jon Snow's tropey yeah, But in a different way, you Mm. have competing tropes going against each other. And that, to me, when Emmett said that, I was like, oh, the clouds have parted. Yes, that's what I've been trying to say. Uh, He's just so good at words. Um, Words. And it's it's so fascinating, just that drama of a single character and the conflict he has constantly with himself. It's really well demonstrated in his dream, which, of course, we'll get to talking about. But...
0: Yeah, cool. In Very fact, cool. let's do that. Time for okay. Davos After Dark, everyone. Just go right into it? Let's go right into it. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. It's time to enter the realm of book spoilers. We're going to go into Davos After Dark, so leave us now if you get don't want to get, get spoiled on the last five chapters of this book or whatever the <laughs> hell it is that we have left. It's not many, man. It's oh, three man. episodes, I think. There
1: is... Ooh. Is there potential for some wind spoilers? Do we need to
0: call that out? Absolutely. I feel like... Uh, yeah. The Dornish
1: stuff, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so possible wind spoilers, those who are going to continue listening. Yeah.
0: I do. Yeah, I do know we have some people that try to avoid that stuff. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, they've reached out to us and told us, so yeah. you've been
0: warned. Yeah. Davos After Dark. All right, let's just let's just stick with the John Dream stuff since you you seem to be uh, so titillated by it.
1: Ah, just John's character as a whole, but yeah, what a fascinating dream, right? Yeah. So in this dream, he's alone atop the wall. He's like commanding a battle, much yep. like the night battle that we saw from earlier
0: on. Correct. Um, but Except there's no one else up there with him. Mm-hmm. Uh... kills that part itself didn't seem weird to me that's that's john's isolation sure that he's all he always feels that yep he's all alone
1: in this very good good interpretation um then a whole bunch of wildlings of different varieties young old uh igreet is there are climbing up the wall like spiders and he kills them all um then it moves on to all of a sudden he's slaughtering members of the night watch Donald noy deftick fallard corn halfhand then it jumps to him screaming i am the lord of winterfell as he cuts off rob snow's head and then he's awoken by mormont's raven
0: yes whoa <laughs> yep
1: uh oh also he's Armored in black ice Mm -hmm. with a red
0: sword. The Song of Ice and Fire.
1: Right? Right? Mm -hmm. So Targaryen imagery I pick up there with it being black and red. um, But also, uh, oh my gosh, there's so many little bullet points I put here. Mm -hmm. No rhyme or reason to them. Rhaegar, his armor was black. Um, Black ice makes me think of obsidian though yeah which seems to help against others seems like it might make bad armor though because it's so brittle I don't know um
0: how about how about the flaming sword of Rolor and the icy armor like others right the, the great the other.
1: combination yeah
0: that he's both or in conflict or has elements of each or Have
1: elements of each yeah well and and it's interesting the word choice it doesn't say that it's a fiery sword it's a no. red sword yep but lightbringer another name for it is the red sword of heroes mm-hmm. yeah so. oh boy mm-hmm. but you know in the end what's this dream it's him i think competing with all of the different, with the identity crisis that he's dealing with for a lot of it, you know, he wants to be a good Lord Commander, but does he feel a bit guilty over betraying what he, quote unquote, betraying what they fought for, you know, with letting the wildlings through? You know, is everything half Halfhand fought for all those years being pissed on now because he's letting the wildlings through the wall? Mm. Um, you know he's committed to doing it, but maybe Bowen Marsh's words do sting a little bit in that regard. You know he's got the the wildlings who he's killing. He's his responsibility is he as a member of the Night's Watch was to kill wildlings basically, but now he's saving them. Is he fearing that he'll fail them? You know, um, all this stuff. The Lord of Winterfell, how it is something that he really wants, even though he's made a commitment to not want it, and he's all he loves Rob. But yet, inside, it is something he wants. So, oh my gosh, it's just, it's fascinating. Yeah.
0: Dreams. Oh, it, he's a. Aw- go ahead.
1: Just the end of the dream. He was awoken by a gnarled hand on his shoulder. So that happens in the dream. Mm-hmm. He, a gnarled hand comes onto his shoulder, which makes me think of gnarled, I think of like roots. Gnarled yep. roots, of course. Blood or, raven. Like an old hand.
0: person's hand, like bony and like yeah. jutty. Bleah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And then what actually wakes him up in the real world is the raven pecking him. Yeah. Right? So Bloodraven and or Bran having a part in these dreams and wanting to pull him out of the dream, actually.
0: Absolutely. That's super Born fascinating. Corn King, Snow, Jon Snow, Jon Snow. Yeah. What'd you think of that? I think it's the bird telling him that he's the king. And I think he's it's Bran king. and not Bloodraven. And I think that because this bird has only been able to talk in one word basically one word spurts before and mm-hmm. Bran is more powerful than Blood Raven and has figured out how to do more.
1: And he comment John comments on that, right? He said my full name. He's never said my full name before. Right. So I agree with you. I think it's Bran talking to him through the Raven at that point. Right. Which is so cool. Yeah. So Anyways, that dream has a lot to unpack, both from a theorizing perspective as well as just a John characterization perspective. So if any of y'all want to go back and read that, I thought it was pretty cool.
0: It is. I, I struggle with dreams. I struggle Tom with prophecy. Um, it's, it's yeoman's work filtering through what means stuff and what doesn't. And mm-hmm. frankly, as a fan of the series... I'm more apt to just, like, let it come to me than try to figure it out. And that, I guess, makes me a bad analyst for our podcast. But Not at there's all. just so much in there. You could yeah, take it so many fine. ways, like, like your bullet points indicate, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that's one thing I loved about, about Brooke. I loved many things about Brooke. But one of the things I really loved about her was you and I would jump down these rabbit holes when it was the three of us, right? And Brooke yeah. would readily admit, you know what? I'm just a fan of this series. I just want to let it happen to me. What I just happened, want guys? to experience it in real time. Yeah. I, you know, people like to theorize and that's fine, but that's just wasn't her. She wanted to just be a fan and let it happen. And there's something I think liberating in that. And yeah. Definitely nothing wrong with it.
0: There's nothing yeah. wrong with theorizing either, but
1: you know, let yeah, each other and... be what kind of fan
0: you want to be. And perhaps, I mean, I don't think this is a huge secret, perhaps a little bit of a microcosm as to, you know, why she left, right? I mean, she said it a little bit and hinted at it in in the letter that she wrote. You know, like, she just wants to love the series, and she didn't have, you know, the passion for analyzing it anymore and diving to those depths. And and good honor, because one of my biggest fears, you know, was that by you know by having her on this podcast with us that we've ruined this thing that she loved for nearly two decades you mm-hmm. know and, and that she wouldn't even be interested in the books anymore and so good on her for getting out I you know hope she's still planning to read the next one when it comes out
1: miss her like crazy but yeah yeah, yeah. be Indeed. the fan you want to be I know this is yeah we're veering off dramatically but you think yeah be what you <laughs> want to be callous yeah, and don't let anyone tell you that the way that you're a fan of this series is the wrong way. Right.
0: Anyways, right. and if you're listening out there, Brooke, we love you.
1: Oh, to heaven and back, to hell and back. Where Either way. Yeah. Either direction.
0: Wherever Victorians <laughs> thinks people go, <laughs> to there and back. Uh, uh, do you want to cover this other thing real quickly? I mean, it's something we've talked about before.
1: It really is, and I don't have a lot to it.
0: Um, but yes, go ahead. Just, we we talked about it with the Sam chapter. They don't mm-hmm. come in force. They're just kind of almost like they're shepherding you, kind of nibbling at your heels, keeping the sense of urgency there, but never going in for the final stroke. We've said before maybe they don't have the numbers to do that. Like, maybe the only way they grow new others is through Hoster. We don't know. Or uh Hoster. Um, Craster. Craster, sorry. Yeah. Um, We don't know, right? But for some reason, they don't do that. They're like shepherding them toward the wall again, right?
1: Yeah, if you really wanted to build an army of whites, you could have done it.
0: Yes, easily. Yeah.
1: Easily. Right. If you really wanted to wipe out the Night's Watch, you could have
0: done it. Right. There is... There is something else going on. And uh I was listening to a not a cast where Fish and Emmett were just hammering home, you know, that the others are not good guys, that the others are not, you know, that's not the twist this series is going to take. It doesn't thematically make sense. And to a point, I agree with them. But I also don't think they're pure evil either. There's something else. Yeah, there's something there's, else going on motivating them. not just them. bad guys. right. Yeah. Right. They're not just pure evil. There's something, I feel, there's something else motivating them and causing them to act in this way rather than just being bent on annihilation.
1: Annihilation, yep. I 100% agree to you. You can't talk your way around that, in my opinion. Yeah. This this idea of them, they did it, they've done it twice now that we know of. Yep. Of uh, you, know, you mentioned the Fist of the First Men and the whole Great Ranging, and now this, where... They were recognizably on the outskirts. And if you slowed down too much, they'd get you. They want you to keep moving. But they don't right. just run you over. Right. And that's that's something significant. Yep. So, if we don't have any ideas of what it is, at least we can
0: bring awareness to the idea, maybe. <laughs> Indeed. 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 Uh, all right. Let's go to... You want to go to Chekhov's gun in the Dornish?
1: What is going to happen with that army there? Oh my goodness. This this conversation has the
0: ability to spiral. We could talk about this. I swear we could talk about this for an hour. Dorn is so interesting historically because they stay home. They hide in the sands. They protect their own. Doran has been trying to set up these pieces, these Syvass pieces, for years to make something happen, to get the vengeance, to to bring the Martell house back to prominence. And you could could say that these armies in these places represent a movement toward fulfilling some of that in some way, right? They're gonna do Mm -hmm. something. Action's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like it can't end well for them. I feel like history that we've been given says, if you stay home, you're gonna be okay. If you leave, you're not. <laughs> Oberyn taught us that, right? Same thing oh with boy. with yeah. same thing with Ned and and Starks going south. You you can't. I don't know. Go ahead, I'm blabbering.
1: No, you're not. Uh, probably. It, it not feels like it's going to end would. in
0: tragedy for them to me, is I guess my summary.
1: Right. Well, and Arianne in Wind's chapters mentions that the, the... I mean, they're just sitting out there. And so people are leaving, she says, in groups every day. The numbers of the armies... I mean, there's still probably thousands, but they're dwindling a bit people are giving up and going I'm not staying out here are you kidding I'm just sitting around in the bone way no thanks I'm going home right um, and it's all apparently in Arianne's hands right we find from the wind sample chapters that Doran has sent her off and said check this Aegon kid out and if he's good so first of all the letter that John mentioned sending to Doran makes it to Doran uh, and to Doran and uh Doran sends Ariane of all people to investigate and it's all in her hands if she says Aegon's legit they're going to commit their forces and that's kind of scary is that another sense of uh, Doran maybe putting too much on his kids i don't
0: know it 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 just it reeks a little bit of desperation mm. so so we just got done talking about how the, the the world is ripe for change at this point right Westeros is ripe Westeros for some, and, something yeah, definitely and so maybe Doran senses that but it's almost like he's all right we got Viserys and 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 uh, Arianne. oh shit Viserys is dead we got Quentin and we got Danny and the oh shit uh okay this weird guy showed up sure let's do that. Let's it's give like this one a try. Like comes, to try. It's like he's right. It's like okay, I've I've been thinking about this for so long. I've got to make something happen, right? Mm-hmm. I've got to do it. And yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, like I said, maybe he senses senses how weak the realm is and so thinks there's a chance. And but it just feels like a if if they go through with it, it feels like a marriage of convenience and it's not what he wanted originally. It's almost like it's not dragons.
1: Sorry for the sports analogy, non-sports fans. But you know the trade deadline in sports, whether basketball yeah. or hockey or football, and and there's always that big guy that's up for, you know, that the rumors out there that this guy could get traded, and you've got all sorts of teams that are making pitches to that team to, have, I'll give you this and this and this for that player but only one team can get him, right? And then the rest, once that player's off the table, once he's been traded, these other teams that needed a player like him kind of have to settle for second and third and fourth best, right? And it's not who they set out to get, but at that point they've committed to bringing in someone to help the team and they've got to make some sort of
0: trade, right? Or they what? Or they what? Or they wait. Or they wait, right? And deal deal with what they've got and they stick wait until with, something else comes team. along, right? Yeah. yeah. And Doran's been waiting for a long time. Mm-hmm. And his people are near rioting, right? Yeah.
1: And it's like oof. I mean, th- th- my hockey team, the Avalanche, they had been they've been terrible for the past couple years and everyone was saying you got to trade this one guy. He's a he doesn't have a good attitude. He, you know, He's good, so you can get a good return for him and everything. And the general manager just waited and waited, and people were getting upset, like, you've got to trade him now. And he's like, no, I'm going to wait for the right deal to come along. And everyone was like, you need to fire this general manager, Joe Sackick. Fire him because he's not making the trade. Sackick's their manager you know, now? Yeah. Wow. And he, he was under a lot of intense scrutiny because he wasn't trading this guy, and people thought he was really gun-shy. Well, this season... All of a sudden they pull off this trade And it's this three team trade Where they moved just him He's the only guy they trade And they got back seven pieces for him Wow And draft picks and young players And it's been called one of the best trades In the history of the NHL For the Avalanche And so to your point The waiting game Sometimes you get a lot of pressure and stuff And outside pressure I'm sure Doran is feeling that uh, both from his people and from his own family, but sometimes you just gotta wait for the right move. And but there is a point where you wait too long.
2: Right? Yep.
0: Yeah. No, for sure. And your your question was, uh, you know, did Ariane? Is it scary that it's in Ariane's hands? And I'd say scary is maybe strong, but uh-huh. she certainly doesn't have the wisdom. Perhaps maybe some might call it you know, fear, I don't know. But she certainly doesn't have the perspective that Doran has on this. Sure. Yeah. And so putting it in her hands is maybe scary, isn't the right word, but but it's certainly not it's not Doran. You're gonna get a different type of decision here. hmm And probably a more hasty one. Right. Which is maybe okay. Maybe that maybe Doran's decided that's what they need now.
1: Mm-hmm. And but, I think we've talked about this before of what do we think will happen. I think Ariane will Send back the the thumbs up to Doran. Let's I think do she this. will. I feel like she will too.
0: Which is weird because because we just got the bit with the Sand Snakes and how they're going to play what seemed like a long game. Mm-hmm. Right? Go work your magic on the council. Go work your magic with the Septon. Go, mm-hmm. you know, it's Rella in Old Town still. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Feels. Feels weird. Feels weird, but yeah. the opportunity came along, and yeah, I think I think they're gonna take it.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, uh, in the second Arianne wins chapter, Halden does tell her that Storm's End had been taken. Right. Yep. Doesn't say how, but that Aegon had taken Storm's End. Right. And, I mean, that's a big deal if true. So.
0: Yeah. No,
1: for sure. That would it definitely, is. for me, if I was like, "Oh, this guy took Storm's End." Yeah. Yeah, maybe this is someone that's worth
0: supporting. Right. Yeah, and it doesn't take much. I mean, if if uh, you know, if Dorn joins, and then the Stormlands join, you know, and then, um, you don't know what that does to Stannis. But then, you know, the Tyrells are certainly no big fans of the Lannisters at the moment. The mm-hmm. whole Marjorie thing—they flip again. Now all of a sudden you got three of the seven kingdoms. Not half bad. Right. But as we all know, he's gonna die in flame from one of Danny's dragons, so it doesn't matter. Sure. <laughs> uh alright. And... We have some huge stuff to talk about still. It's getting late. But I don't wanna leave without talking about the monkeys. Vic. And Vic. <laughs> Let's let's end it on Vic. Uh-huh. Yeah. So... Oh Dig deep, Scat. <laughs> so let's just start with... Is there more to Victorian than Blunt Force Trauma? And Message Boy for for Euron? Does the hand make him special? Is there something more to him that Makoro sees in him? Or is it what it's always been? Let's start um, with...
1: So, I read something interesting, okay. maybe you did too, about this possibly being Victorian dying in this chapter, mm-hmm. and then coming back. And The, w- the wailing
0: know. took my brain there.
1: You've got the omniscient narrator, maybe yeah. it, we were pulled out of Victorian's POV because he was dead. And then he came back alive. It's it's interesting that we've got the Iron Suitor this chapter. hmm But then his next chapter is titled What? Victarian, isn't it? Victarian One. Much like what happened with Theon when he yeah. discovered his identities called the Prince his chapters were called different things throughout, and then his last chapter is called Theon One.
0: Is that the first Victorian chapter we've been given?
1: in uh, this book it's the first one called victarian he was around in feast for crows
0: but but it was as like the iron captain or something wasn't it
1: uh good question let's see um i think you're right good observation yep the iron captain
0: yep interesting
1: and then we finally get one called victarian One. one. Oh. yeah so is it kind of start of, of new life, and, and maybe it is, and that's cool and all. But still, the question remains that you asked: so what? Right. right? Does he? Is he?
0: I I can't even remember now. I I haven't read the chapter in four years or something, mm-hmm. uh, five probably now. Is he any different in Victorian one?
1: Not really. He's kind of still the same person. Yeah. Which, if you think about it, you know, Barrack Dondarian's kind of was same, the same person yeah. until he died 80,000 times. Kat's more vindictive,
0: um, but pretty much the same, too, right? I mean, she's got the same yeah. things driving her.
1: Yeah, and she's a little different with, you yeah.
0: know, you could say that she'd been dead for so
1: long that maybe that did something and all that. Right. But yeah, I mean, his hand obviously has some sort of superhuman power. He does kind of the Darth Vader thing and A New Hope, where he picks the guy up and chokes him out with the hand and throws him and stuff. And, yeah. But yeah, I, t- the big point is that he's if he is rebirthed, he's kind of rebirthed in the glory of the Red God, or I don't know what Melisandre would wax poetic saying, but he's kind of fully bought into Makoro at right. that point. Right. But he's still kind of hanging on to the Drowned God stuff, but even Makoro's telling him, like, you can't do that. <laughs> He's just a demon of the great other. Makoro tells him, and mm. Victorian kind of just takes a stance of, so, "Well, as long as I keep seeing power from you, we're good." But...
0: Yeah. So, <sighs> demon of the great other. So now we get into some. Maybe we're moving into the other point. Did, did you fine. have you read have you read PQ's Elder Apocalypse stuff? A little bit. Yes. I mean, it's it's all, by his own admission, from what I've read, it, he's like, I don't know exactly how it's going to go down, right? Like, it could be any combination of ways that this converges on Old Town or whatever, but what you said about he's just a servant of the Great Other, um, you know, and us wondering about Victorian's role, is it really... Well, okay, so we've got this dusky woman. As soon as Makoro comes in the room, she hisses at him.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We got the monkeys. They go nuts over this Makoro guy. With well, wailing happens and they jump overboard. Is Euron somehow engaged through these things? Right. And sensing what is the enemy of the Great Other, the enemy of, I guess, the Drowned God, if the Drowned God is a servant of the Great Other, mm-hmm. the enemy of, perhaps, the Deep Ones or... Maybe the deep ones are completely unrelated. Don't know, um, or maybe they serve the drown. Who knows? <laughs> As PQ yeah. says, who knows, right? All of all, how all these things exactly stack, but um, is this chapter like a bit of a wake up call for Euron? Like, oh shit, like enemies?
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa! This is bigger than I thought it was, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Like, I had Victorian in my grasp. This priest shows up out of nowhere. He's floating on a piece of board for ten days. Giving him these crazy ideas. And now he's under his control and not mine anymore. And maybe this roller business is tough. Right. I don't know. But then that begs the question of
1: what... Well, it's two big questions, and that's what's hard to wrap your head around, is... First of all, what does Makoro see in Victarion? You asked that. Mm-hmm. What What is what is his purpose in siding with Victorion? Because it's more... Makoro's super powerful. It is definitely more than what he's letting on. He's using Victarion for something. Yeah. But then, what does...
0: We'll go back does... to what Makoro wants. Makoro wants Danny in control, thinks Danny is uh, the prince that was... Or, uh um lightbringer, right? Uh-huh. or uh, not lightbringer. Azora high, right? Yep. So ostensibly he wants to use that tool Victarion to
1: To get to her? Uh, yeah. And maybe Victorian has the horn Dragonbinder. Yes. Makoro recognizes that he has it and that yes. he needs he doesn't R'alor want to send himself he want to die.
0: Right, Mac- yep. Laura sent Makoro dreams of Victarion and his horn and said, You gotta go find this guy because he can get you what you need. Which he is can
1: tame the dragons.
0: Azora High as Danny with dragons. Bring it. Game set match on the others.
1: And then maybe Victarion is just dumb and lunky enough that after you've gotten Danny, you can remove Victarion quickly enough. If you need to.
0: Yeah, I mean, if if this rebirth thing is true, and um, it's not something I've looked at much, but if this rebirth thing is true, you know, just thematically. Like, anything you've birthed, you can kind of control, maybe?
1: Sure, yeah. I mean, Victorian's into him hook, line, and sinker at this
0: point, it seems like. (laughs) Right. So, you know, like, he's, ironically, not seeing the tentacles that are puppeting him around those tentacles have become flames Uh (laughs) and (laughs) you know now now he's just somebody else's puppet I mean I think I think it it feels to me the original question I asked was is Vic something special I don't think so I think he's still a puppet right uh he's just somebody else's puppet now and you know even before Makoro takes the strings Victorian is already like I'm not his puppet I'm doing my own thing I'm gonna marry her myself you Mm -hmm. know these things and he's still a puppet. I mean, if, yeah. you, if you believe that, if you believe that the dusky woman is being skin changed by Euron, by Euron from far away, which I don't know whether I do or not, um, but if you believe it, you know, then he's been keeping an eye on him the whole time, influencing his thoughts, doing all these things. Maybe he's even been using the dusky woman to keep the wound not healing yep.
1: she's the one that dresses it right yeah like who knows what stuff she's soaking that dressing in before he comes in
0: right <laughs> so i but i don't know if i believe it or not it's a little weird we don't see i don't i read up a little bit on this and there are some people adamant like we have no evidence at all in the books that he is a skin changer mm-hmm. and yet at the same time you know we have a lot of thematic elements that he shares with with blood raven and bran and you know the whole nickname is crow's
1: eye for sake. right exactly
0: so (laughs) there there is no like we've seen him do it evidence but i Mm -hmm. it's not that big of a leap to say that he could be skin changing right i
1: agree yep yeah you know the um back a little bit to the religion thing but just showing victorian's puppetry there's multiple instances in scripture, at least in Christian scripture and even Mormon scripture, if we're going to get specific with the Book of Mormon and stuff, where people have asked to see signs yeah. to validate faith. If you're really a man of God, show me a sign that proves to me that you're a man of God. And more often than not, that man of God will say, no, like because if I show you a sign, your faith is going to be in that sign. It's not going to be in God who the who the the power would truly come from, right? Yep. And that's da- like you said. That's actually dangerous when people do that. Um, and that's where Victorian is right now. He's got his his faith is so wrapped up in the signs of power that he's allowing himself to become a puppet, not just maybe to Euron, but now to Makoro as well. And he's just getting controlled. People are coming at him from multiple angles and he doesn't even know it.
0: <laughs> also, coincidentally, no being what people would say if they have no ability to show a sign. True. Which is not the case here. Because both Euron and Makoro are. They could have a friggin' magician's contest to show him signs. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I feel a little bit bad for Vic, right? Like. There's a lot of stuff leading him around, and it's easy to be led around by the stuff he's seeing, right? Right, mm-hmm. like he's got a hand of f- smoke and coal, like that's power. I would, I would Undeniable. be manipulated by that. This Undeniable. horn that he shows that Euron shows up with—that's power. I'd be manipulated by that.
1: Yep. Yep. No question. Yeah. Uh, in the Forsaken chapter, Euron. has a dream where he sees his brother on the Iron Throne, Euron. Um, But Euron was no longer human. He seemed more squid than man. A monster fathered by a Kraken of the Deep, his face a mass of writhing tentacles. So, comparing that to Makoro's vision of Victarion being controlled by the tentacles, that's kind of cool.
0: Right, yeah. And... um yeah there's 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 so much to unpack there uh I guess let's talk about the monkeys real quick mm-hmm um
1: we, we both separately had this thought about the monkeys right
0: In we did well, I don't remember how much of it I said on the the main portion of the cast, but like animals don't behave this way mm-hmm. You know, like, like they can't look at superno- supernatural phenomena, like, weigh them logically, and they'll be like, yeah, you know what, I'm going to throw myself into ocean. They see ocean, and they see danger, and they don't jump into it because they hear singing, right? You know what I mean?
1: Unless That's- they feel that that danger, the danger from one thing outweighs the danger of the other thing.
2: Right right, but I but I don't but know how why they would... would they get that from Sam? right
0: yeah, exactly mm-hmm. I see what you're saying so but at the same time, I don't have an explanation either if blood Raven is watching through these or Bran is watching through these monkeys, why would they also make that choice? they just leave, leave. on huh? yeah, you just pull out of the monkey just pull out and be like, well this is fucking weird, I'm leaving <laughs> why would they kill the monkeys? <laughs> it Seems an odd choice, or maybe the the pull
1: out from the monkeys left the monkeys kind of disoriented to the point yeah. that they like fell
0: in rather than jumped in.
1: I don't know. Yeah,
0: maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, again we ask the hard questions, we give no answers, but it, it. I. I just. I. It doesn't. It doesn't. Not breaking any ground here, but it doesn't seem like normal animal behavior, mm-hmm. and well, even the dusky woman hissing right? Yes.
1: Like you're and if you're so bugged by it, just exit out of her body,
0: right? Instead
1: yeah. yep. hissing, doing something so like inhuman, so yeah. unnatural, yeah. right? Is hissing at someone. Yeah. So maybe maybe there's a power there that throws these skin changers off their game.
0: I don't know. Again, no answers. Interesting. I mean, so no you, you talk about power of lore or power of because I mean Mel's been around Jon who's a skin changer and doesn't seem to throw him off seems
1: okay yep
0: um we haven't seen much else have we Arya was around Thoros but briefly and wasn't really actively skin changing Nymeria she was doing it in her sleep some um we don't have much else do we we really don't (laughs) Yeah, but but uh, yeah, I mean it's int- it's an interesting thought that yeah. there's some sort of disruption in the magic that uh, that you know the lore causes some static or something. Yeah.
1: In the end, you know, we talked about this, and I think clear back when we started A Clash of Kings that the Ironborn chapters were just slogging slogs to some of us to varying degrees, and now we're seeing that. Gurm's doing some heavy, heavy work through some of these characters, right? Yeah. Victorian may be a big lug, but, uh, Gurm's showing us, I think, an awful lot of stuff.
0: He's going to do something, and Euron, too, is, uh, he's a loaded gun, and, you know, again, reading the Eldritch Apocalypse thing, I don't want to go down this too far, uh, if you haven't read it, go read it. It's PQ. Check out it's, it's fun stuff.
1: Google Google Poor Quentin Eldritch
0: Apocalypse. And right, find it. Yep, correct. And um, what what I what I find, while it's fascinating stuff, what I what I don't love, and I again I think he kind of admits this, but what I don't love is is the conclusion. I mean, where where he has it kind of ending is that it throws Old Town into complete upheaval. I don't I don't remember whether he says it specifically, but you know takes the tower down or like takes out the high towers, destroys old town or or causes some great havoc there, and they start invading into the the land and then they're defeated by garland and and willis mm-hmm. and it's like that's unsatisfying if to me it is if George is gonna throw in this great dangerous weapon i need it it feels too far removed from the wall and everything else and what 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 PQ has said is like well it's it's just the nature of the magic world it raises all boats is a phrase he used right whereas like you know the main story here still is the others and the, you know and lore and and the fire and ice component but there's also all this other magic coming back into the world and this is part of it and that may be true but it just feels unsatisfying to me i want it to wrap together somehow right and maybe it will maybe it will but yeah yeah, using
1: Euron more as not the primary antagonist, but the vessel to kind of bring everything together, and then, but that's not the end of the story, right? Yeah, maybe Euron—you know—he gets the Horn of Jormun or something like that and brings down the wall. The others invade or whatever happens, but that's not the end of the story.
0: Yeah, right. It's the end yeah, of the I chapter. just, I just want to see it tied together somehow. I mean. You know, if he gets if if the dragon binder thing gets him a dragon, you know, like one thing I thought of is like, okay, we've got this other gun that you mentioned with Aegon down here. Is is are there is there two wars going on? Is there an Aegon war and he gets a dragon against Euron, and a and a Danny John other war at the north. And they're both happening like a two-front war against similarly-aligned powers. One driven by Euron, one driven by these ice, you know, monsters. I don't know. I just want it to come together. I don't want it to be unrelated, terrible occurrences. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, draw it all together.
0: But, Mm -hmm. anyway. I'm fascinated by it. It's a a cool theory, and, um, you know, it's in part been proven right by this... uh, by by the uh, Aaron chapter that we got the yeah. forsaken chapter right I mean so I just want it all to tie together that's all I'm sure it will yep have we talked for a long time we have yes sir I think we covered it all mm-hmm. are you ready to sign off tired I'm ready to sign off <laughs> <laughs> we talked we we out a lot of a lot of questionable things there at the end. Yes, we did. right.
1: Probably completely unsatisfying
0: to listeners. Well, maybe, maybe not. It was satisfying to us, and that's always our measuring stick. Yep. Yep. All right. Uh time to sign off. You ready?
1: I'm sign off and I got a really simple sign off tonight. So this is Matt signing off, just urging you to all be excellent to each other.
0: Right. Party on. Mm hmm. Uh different movie, as you said. Mine is um Victarion getting bled uh, in his hand reminded me of the movie *There Will Be Blood*,
2: Hmm.
0: and so now in my head, Victarion is Daniel Day Lewis (laughs) forever. Now that's just—it doesn't fit at all. But that's—I can't get Daniel Day Lewis out of my head, saying, "Give me the blood, Lord, and let me out of here. (laughs) Give me the blood." You know, Daniel Day Lewis is good enough that if he
1: wanted to play Victarion.
0: He could do he it. He could pull it off. Yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> Alright, thanks for listening, Calasar. Yeah. Good night, guys. Night. You see,
3: there's a monkey sitting up in this tree until one day it decided to climb down a tava city. About to look at them now. Tired and drunk. The monkey is living in the street as good as
1: beat can edit scad uh sidebar we got the so spake martin that pretty much proves it do we want to
0: talk about that here or in Davos after dark uh i guess Davos after dark just bring it up here oh all right yeah fine i mean at this
1: point we've said enough
0: (laughs) three episodes left and no i uh we can just i think we can probably just say it it's not really spoiling anything it's in the past right Pretty much. Uh, Got to climb into a new head, and that means a new song. Yeah, which I haven't written yet. What, dude? I thought you told Life. me a while ago that it was like mostly done.
1: Uh, no, no, nope, must be thinking of something else. Yeah, no,
0: nope. it must be.
1: Nope, well, I haven't even. My gosh, I haven't even played my guitar in probably two weeks. No, it hurts. It hurts.
0: Matt, guys, we'll go to the details, but Matt's been dealing with some stuff. Throw him some love. Put him in your thoughts. <laughs> you know, the, the the crotch rocket motorcycle, just a quick sidebar, because this is what we do, Kalisar. The crotch rocket motorcycles never appealed to me, the Speed Demon ones. But, yeah. I, but I always have kind of... I've, I always... The um, Harleys are cool, but I really them? like the look of the, the Indian motorcycles. Have you seen those? Hmm. Indian is a really old motorcycle brand. Is that actually pre predates Harley, but kind of okay. went away for a while. And it sounds like I know a lot about motorcycles. I don't, I don't. But I, I looked into it You a know little more bit. than I do. But <laughs> they they brought them back. So Polaris, who makes uh, snowmobiles and uh, like um, ATVs ATV and ATV stuff. vehicles and stuff like that, yeah, they bought into that market to like compete with Harley, and they're doing.
2: Oh, I actually own some cool. stock in
0: Polaris, but they, uh, you know, they're doing hardly any business compared to Harley still, but I I really like the look of their bikes, and so I kind of yeah, a little bit... Now. What's that? Yeah,
1: I'm looking at them now.
0: Yeah, they, they just... cool looking. They, yeah, they just look classy. they just kind of like... I don't know. I'd kind of <laughs> like the feel of one of those between my legs, if you know what I mean. Uh, I do, actually.
1: I know exactly what you
0: But then your brain goes back to the the creaky hinge, opening the closet to pull down the box of
1: photos. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Kalisar, let's give credit where credit is due as far as the music for the episode goes. We had Sitting, Waiting, Wishing by Jack Johnson from his album In Between Dreams. I've really started liking Jack Johnson again. I liked him in high school, kind of took a break, and now I've started picking the guy up and... Really enjoying his stuff. The second song was a song that we've, I think, used on the cast before. It's probably because it's in my top three favorite love songs of all time. It's called What I Think She Sees by Del Amitri off of their album Some Other Suckers Parade. It's one of those songs where you don't really know it's a love song until the end, and that's kind of cool. I love stuff like that. And then finally, boy, a dark track, Big Eyed Fish is the name of the track by the Dave Matthews band off of their album, uh, busted stuff. Now the version that we used on the episode is from the live album, live at Folsom field. The one I would recommend is big eyed fish from the Lily white sessions. That's not an official Dave Matthews band release. It's uh, some studio sessions that were scrapped and never saw the light of day. Um, But you can still find them on the interwebs. So I love that version. It's dark and Ron really fits this song well. Check it out if you want to. Anyways, love you guys lots and can't wait till next time. See ya.